Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings. And occasionally, we include a little bit of discussion on the Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game by Games Workshop. Actually, we include a lot of discussion about that, let's be honest. Yeah. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 28. And I am here, as usual, with Mr. Andrew Brock. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. Yourself? I'm doing well. Doing very well. That's good to hear. Nice. So how, how has your last, like, say, couple of weeks, but it's been probably more than a couple of weeks as usual, how's your last little bit been since we last chatted on the, uh, the podcast? Uh, it's been good, yeah. Been been very good. Um, Hobby-wise, gaming-wise, uh, went to a tournament. That's right, on, you did. Was it December 4th last mm-hmm. weekend, I think? Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Um, did that, so we can talk a little bit about that. Um, haven't done a whole lot of modeling. Um, mm-hmm. Still haven't got my Vanquishers book yet from Games Workshop. Seriously? I sent, I, I sent their customer service an email saying, uh, can you let me know what's going on with this order? And they replied to me today, um, basically saying, yeah, it'll get there when it gets there, kind of in a nice way. Wow. Um, but I also did get an email today that all three of my items have been sent. And when I got home, I had a parcel here with two out of the three items, but not the book. Mm. So, okay. So I guess they sent that separately, maybe? I don't know. Uh, you should reach out to them. Demand a second book. That way you get two <laughs> books for the uh, parcel. It'll probably, show up to, it'll probably show up tomorrow. We'll see. Yeah, well, you know, once yes. you get it, then you can then you can read all about all the wonderful uh, legendary legions that are in there, especially the one that you have, the Rise of the Necromancer. You've got that legendary legion. Yeah, I do. I do. Maybe I can actually pull those models out and have a game with them. That's right. You know, and they're already yeah. painted. They're already finished. That's true. <laughs> That's true. What do we got coming up in this episode before, uh, besides our normal catch up? Oh, well, we've got the usual catch-up. We've got your all that is gold is not glitter. You've got what have I got in my pocket. And, of course, the main mm-hmm. segment, which today we're talking about standing your ground in hold ground. Okay, another mission. That's right, another mission subject uh, topic. I know we talked about vanquishers, I'm trying to talk about that and how they're not unbeatable because the chatter on the internets is increasingly... Uh, negative with nuclear options being discussed in terms of what should be done with them. Um, nuclear options. Yeah, oh, well, just roll my eyes at that. But um, I wanted to give that a couple, I'll probably leave it to the next episode. And the big reason for mm-hmm. that is I moved uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that didn't give me a whole lot of time to do any kind of prep. And I think having a conversation about the vanquishers, especially as one as contentious as this army list is or legendary legion is, uh, can't be done from a theoretical perspective. You got to get some games in with them, and mm-hmm. you know, be able to sort of speak to it from both um, a theoretical perspective, but also from a practical application perspective. Yeah, um, I think that makes sense. Yeah, so I'm gonna do some tabletop <clears throat> simulator games, and I am you, you heard, heard it here. I am going to play against myself in some of those games you know and uh before anyone poo-poos me and says hold on a second that's you can't do that because that's not going to give you a a good understanding of the army because you're not playing against someone else well i thought that originally myself 
And so, you know, I went online because I do a little bit of research for this kind of thing, just because I wanted to know what are the benefits, you know, from a psychological as well as from an actual gaming perspective. And of course, there's nothing for any miniature game, but there is a ton for chess because, you know, all miniature games mm -hmm. are derived from chess. And, you know, people's comments ranged from, like, you could have a psychological nervous breakdown from playing against yourself to you'll gain <laughs> nothing out of it because you're biased towards one color, like black versus white. Um, and then I thought, well, this is a bunch of hocus pocus. Uh, there's got to be someone who said something who have some reputable, you know, some reputation in the field. And I, I stumbled across a YouTube video of someone giving their top 10 tips. And in the video, they recommend um, where, you know, when you don't have opponents, absolutely play against yourself. It is actually an, an, a, an opportunity for you to learn and grow. Uh, and, you know, this is, again, this is just a way of continually playing, right? Like if you don't have someone to play against, always be playing, whether that's playing against yourself or playing against others. Just, just do it. It will always be better than sort of thinking things through. And this, oh, person, and this person's name happened to be Magnus Carlson. Magnus Carlson. Don't you know who Magnus Carlson is? No. Magnus Carlson is the top-rated chess player in the world. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. He is oh, the wow. number one-rated chess player. He's been the number one-rated chess player for probably a couple of years now. I don't know the exact specifics, but they have like that, that chess ranking, yeah. and they've got everyone... Yeah. And like everyone who's above chess master level is like 3,000 or something. This guy is above that, like well above. Mm -hmm. uh, he's above Kasparov. He's above all of them. And so when this guy says, hey, you should play against yourself, I, I think he, he holds a bit of weight when he's the <laughs> number one ranked player. He holds a bit yeah, of weight. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, so, so. so I'm going to give it a whirl. I'm going to try it on Tabletop Simulator because I don't have space to set up a 4x4 four four table in my house right now. Uh, yeah. place and uh, you know yeah I think with that army too I, I don't know I, I like I've never played it yet um, and I don't normally play armies like that mm -hmm. um, but I, I would think too if you're not used to playing a, 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 an army like that that it would have a high learning curve in terms of how to use the army like <clears throat> it was played at the tournament that we went to mm -hmm. Um and yeah, let's just say I think I think it was a challenging army to learn how to play, let mm -hmm. alone learn how to play against it. You know, the, that army has probably the most amount of rules of any army. You know, because I don't think people realize this, uh, and it's probably one of the reasons why some individuals um, do better or worse with it or against it is that you are prone to a lot of gotchas if mm -hmm. you're not ready for all the rules because not only does each character have a varied set of rules there's also a varied set of spells that they have they come with with spell casting values and ranges and all these things differ right some spells go off at larger values um, are easier to cast some are not some have longer range spells some don't um and that's just the spells then we dive into yeah. actual special rules for the vanquishers the legendary legion and you're talking about each each individual has their own special rule, um, you know, which there's certain distance, certain radius that that rule exists for, and then there's extra stuff. And so once you factor all that stuff in, if you're not aware 
of how that legion works, you could be giving your opponent, you know, more benefit than they mm-hmm. should be getting, and that list is already very strong as is. So yeah, and there's also um, your the management of your like heroic stats in there, keeping track mm-hmm. of your might, will, and fate, and that army can be a lot more challenging than in a conventional army, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it's all based around that large in a large part. Right, exactly. But anyway, uh, at the risk of this episode becoming a chat about the Vanquishers, let's move on and talk more about what we've been doing for the last few weeks, if anything. Well, I, I'll jump in because <clears throat> mine has been yet again, but hopefully for the last time, uh, not MESPG related. Uh, so we were sort of chatting just before we started. Yeah. I moved, and that was kind of one of the big reasons for why I haven't had my painting stuff out. And that, you know, the move happened last yeah. week. And obviously, you know, you prepare for a move weeks beforehand so that things go swimmingly. And yeah, so now I'm mostly settled into my new place. And, uh, you know, next week or the week after, I will be pulling out my painting stuff because I've got my painting desk ball all set up again. And I am super duper looking forward to uh, slapping some paint on models. Yeah, that's awesome. That'll be good to get your stuff out. I haven't really been painting a lot in the last couple of weeks. Um, I do have my sort of little secret side project that I've been tinkering away on, uh, um, which is project. which is getting close to being done. So, so that's there. So I still got some some work to do on that, um, but the modeling part of it, I'm I think I'm getting close to having that done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I'm down to my last two models now on my challenge army. Um, so I'm still hoping to get that done by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a week off, just the week right after Christmas. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I hope to get that finished and actually got to plan a game with Chris because he got his done months ago. So even though um, it looks like you and Garrett won't complete yours, so we probably won't have our round robin tournament that we planned. Um, at least Chris and I can get a game in with our two challenge armies. That would be fun. Well, my, my plan, I know this will be a shocker to many, will be to actually get it done, the whole army done by the end of the year. I refuse to let that army go into next year unpainted. And like you said, uh, you have a week off. I, too, have a week off after just after nice. the holidays, uh, after Christmas. So I plan on capitalizing on that and slapping as much paint as possible on models to, to get no, it done. Maybe you'll get it done then. Who knows? Yeah, maybe you'll get your army done as well. Well, that's the hope because I want to. I, I want to get it done because there's so many other projects I want to work on, um, you know, and so many other models I want to paint. And you know, let's be honest, I want to get rid of the the, the wall of shame, you know, yeah. the, the pile of shame, and then just, just you know feel like I've got more options to play with stuff. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Next year, well, because we're almost into next year, that's and of right. course, you know what happens when we come into January. We're going to have to have a new challenge army or a new already something. Know, already know my right? new challenger army. It's the Mordor one that I bought those models for. That's it. Oh, yeah. I've already picked it out. I, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to go smart th- this year and just go for like a ridiculously small army. Uh, I, I, so. I, I thought about saying Vanquishers, but I think that would be just mean. I mean, because I mean, I've already got half the models painted. <laughs> so yeah. it would be literally just painting two models. So Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I have quite a few options, but... You know, um, I there's so many of these, like we've talked a little bit about, you know, possibly having another army type as being a control oh. army type. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know, like the more I think about it, I, I think it's more of um, a quote unquote unique 
army type Mm -hmm. because there i don't think there's a lot of control armies like vanquishers is by far and away a control army the the black legion or their black riders rather control army all the way Mm -hmm. but i I think the list for control is is quite short but there's a lot of armies that i would classify as unique Mm -hmm. um like the uh, the necromancer army, mm-hmm. um, I forget the name of it. Rise denizens the, of oh, the denizens of um, Dolguldur. Dol- Dol- I don't know what it's called. Um, like I wouldn't really call that a control army um, because mm-hmm. you're not really moving the other players' pieces around a lot. You are a, a bit, mm-hmm. but um, I don't think it fits that mold. But there are certainly other armies like that that don't really fit into any of our categories because they're so unique. Like when you see that army, mm-hmm. it's very different from everything else and it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? you know, when it comes to control, just to sort of go back to that very briefly, I mean, like when we talk about armies, army types, we're talking about the majority of your army spend is on a particular type, right? So like, you know, like for a line breaker, the majority of your pat- your points are spent on... You know, heroes that are mounted with generally plus wound modifier weapons. Or if you're looking at hordes, it's majority of your points are spent on models, like just infantry. Yeah. <clears throat> when you're looking at control, majority of your spent points have to be spent on control. Well, that limits a whole lot of armies, right? Because Vanquishers is obviously the top, Black Riders is the second, Angmar is the third. Now, I'm not listing this in order of, like, mm-hmm. um, effectiveness. I'm listing this in probably an order of... The percentage of the army that does control. So I would say probably mm-hmm. Black Riders is probably first, uh, Vanquishers is second, or even the two of them are tied, whatever. And then Angmar is the, the next one after it, and Mordor to a much lesser extent, because um, they took a lot of the, um, the the specters out of Mordor. When Mordor mm-hmm. had Mordor had specters, you had multiple avenues outside of wraiths to do things, um, and so I would say like you could do some. Other army lists, but to be honest, once you start spending a lot of your points in control for other armies, they, they start to lose effectiveness very quickly. Yeah. And so it's about really just sort of maintaining what can be effective um, while at the same time having a lot of control elements, right? And that there's not a whole lot of stuff around. Even, even if you didn't have a lot of um, spell casting control, I think even spamming terror in a way is is control as well, mm-hmm. because you're you're preventing your opponent from from attacking you, right? So mm-hmm. um, taking away one of the core elements of the game, that is control as well. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to open up, and I would agree with you to that to that point, if you're going to open up that, then I mean, the the conversation changes a bit. I mean, Mordor absolutely becomes a control army because. Yeah. You're looking at your standard Mordor army is um, Witch King, maybe Shadow Lord on Felbeast, Black Numenorians as their front line who cause terror, and then your Moran and Orcs on your back line. And then because the, the Wraiths cause Harbinger, then your Terror minus one. And all of a sudden, that's a pretty yeah. big control piece. And all of a sudden, that army becomes control. So I totally agree with you there. And then mm-hmm. it opens up some good armies as well. Like you're looking at Army of the Dead, same principle. Yeah. Um, and even the Return of the King Legendary Legion, same principle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, terror is not something that you would 
um, discount lightly, right? Like if you're lucky no. to play a game without terror as your not anymore. It's yeah. a, such a huge part of the of the current edition of the game. Um, oh, it's a, it's actually why I'm thinking of doing like a smaller army, if not one of these armies that we've just finished listing, one that can fight against these armies because they're becoming so common. Or you know, we have only played two tournaments since being back from. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID lockdowns and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, and I've already—you can already tell there, there, there are more of these armies that are going to be around than in the past. Obviously, oh, some yeah. of them are new lists, so they're they weren't around before. But uh, it seems to be definitely a, a popular ch- type of army to see. Well, I mean, you've got—I mean, if you look at the Fall of the Necromancer list, you've got the Rise of the Vanquisher. So the rise of the necromancer and the vanquishers of the of um, the vanquishers of the necromancer, right? Those two legendary legions, they are both heavy terror, right? They're terror minus yeah. one, and they're um, and they're heavy terror, right? The whole army is terror essentially, um, and that's that's the standard, right? You got those two lists, then you've got the army of the dead kicking around, um, you've got your Mordor kicking around, you've got your Angmar, because remember, um, mm-hmm. people take spirits, anything, their Angmar army bonuses, if your orcs are within range of your spirits, I mean, warriors, but you know what I mean, um, mm-hmm. they cause terror, and it's yeah. going to be terror minus one. So it's almost like you very rarely see terror. Almost nowadays you see always terror minus one, right? Because some special rule is giving an, an aura effect or a radius effect that causes the minus one to your courage, right? Right. And so... Even just being like, okay, it's terror. I'm courage three. I just need to make a seven on a D on two D six. Well, no, mm-hmm. actually, you need an eight. And it's like, oh god, the odds of that are so much lower. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, again, we got distracted from our catching up and have a long section on uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost on army type. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. We could easily have at least one episode talking about that as a main topic. I think. I I think we should talk about it. Yeah, actually, speaking of that, let me just roll this into. So um, we went to a tournament. Uh, you weren't able to make it. Mm-hmm. I know. I think that was when you were moving. Actually, yeah, or was very thinking. close to it. Um, but uh, Garrett, uh, Chris, myself, and Adam, Marcel from mm-hmm. Blackfire Productions. Mm-hmm. Um, the four of us uh, drove down to to London to attend a tournament down there, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, getting out with with the guys again and just seeing all the guys at the tournament and a lot of new faces because it's a fair drive from here Mm -hmm. um how far would it be i don't know two and a half hours something like that yeah but Uh, so it's a good hike i took my my micro uh warband isengard build Mm -hmm. that i had taken to a tournament previously at 700 points and i just added 100 points of warriors to it um, and and I played that. So in my first game, I played uh, Radagast's Alliance, and that army, which was Gwahir, two giant eagles, Bjorn, and Radagast on Slay, all terror, mm-hmm. and um, very unique army i've played against it a bunch of times but it's always slightly different build you know mm-hmm. and uh, i had forgotten bjorn's special rules 
So <laughs> I wish I I wish I had to remember them after the game. I looked at them. I'm like, oh my god, I'm such an idiot. Um, because it's easy. He can be fairly easy to control, but you have to know the rules. So it's yeah. a very good example of like you have to know the rules of your opponent's armies. Uh, and if you don't, you suffer the consequences of having a giant bear in your face for the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I started out at playing that game, and I'm like, this army is, you know, for us, if we were to define that in our army bills, it's a line breaker, but it's not really the way we described a line breaker because no. it's the entire army is moving together as a as a death ball, basically. <laughs> You know, so it is a little bit different. So I, I played that game and lost. Uh, Garrett actually took his, um, what do you call the, ar- not the Army of the Dead, the Legendary Legion. A Return of the King. Return of the King, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he took that with a sort of character heavy um, version of that. So uh, he had that. Yeah, and uh, Chris took his Azog's Hunters without Azog. And and Adam had the uh, the necromancer and Nazgul. Oh, he took so the, he took the rise of the necromancer legendary legend. Didn't yeah, he? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a good time. It was a lot of fun to get out again. Um, still didn't win a tournament, so I won. I actually just saw the standings today, and it turns out that I came fourth. Who knew? Because, hmm. um, of course, they read out the top three, and I wasn't one of them. Uh-huh. Uh, Adam came first, so one of the guys we went with won. So that was great. And, uh, yeah, they read out the names of second and third and didn't realize that I had come fourth. So I had won my second and third games. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Chris won the best theme, I think he won, for his display board and, uh, and army. So that was awesome. Well, there you go. That was pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, but the fact that you played to the death after we recorded the episode, did you find that the, the, the episode and discussing it helped you out, formulate your it, plan? It did help me out. It was just an incredibly bad draw for me to is, yeah. get Radagast's alliance with, with an army full of, like, I don't even know what my model count was. It was probably something like 40. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just an army designed around fighting the other army. And it was just, you know, that kind of army just like lays into you like a buzzsaw sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, So it was tough. And I did get it like I took a massive amount of damage. and I did get it to the tipping point where I had killed one of his eagles and I had Gwahir on one wound with no fate. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't quite kill him. And Mm -hmm. that was my chance to sort of turn the game around right. and it didn't happen and then it just kind of went down the drain so I lost fairly big there mm. uh, but anyway what can you do eh? exactly you know. what can you do so my new theme song now in my quest to ever try to win a tournament and it is I still haven't found what I'm looking for tournament win no no more tournament win that's <laughs> still right. no tournament win still haven't yeah. figured it out yet well you got no you, you've got your your list that the, the micro warband list for isengard you've got a, a second place with it and you've got a fourth place with it so far yeah well, that's pretty respectable numbers but it, it, did you notice that some of the lists out there did you find a lot of them were terror causing big monster causing or big heroes did you was that was that a trend you're seeing now? um you know what i didn't really have a lot of opportunity to go around and 
take a close look at all of the armies. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the ones that we brought uh, had some of that. Uh, like, of course, uh, Garrett and Adam's army both had it. I played against one army that had that. Uh, I played against Thranduil's Halls in the last game, which had that uh, spell that causes terror on everybody within six inches or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was man. fighting, I was fighting against terror that whole game. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like just in a very small subsection of the armies that I encountered, there were certainly over half, I would say hmm. that, that had a fairly large amount of terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me pitch something to you. Cause I found this very interesting. Uh-huh. Um, so it, from, you know where where you live um, to Washington D.C. is about eight hundred and thirty kilometers, give or take. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently, the travel the distance from the Hobbiton from Hobbiton to uh, Mordor is about seventeen hundred and seventy nine kilometers. So, literally, if you drove to Washington D.C. and back, that's how far they walked. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. That's pretty far. Wow. Yeah. So that's I think crazy. our estimates of like. Um, you know, Hobbiton to Rivendell is way off because they think that they said that's probably about 600 kilometers. It is not 600 kilometers. From so it's nowhere near that. It's nowhere near London. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Bree, something like that. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. We'll to, we'll to take a closer, closer look at that. So wildly changing the topic here. Mm-hmm. Did you see Peter Jackson's latest? I accomplishment. Did not, I did not see his. Um, well, you know about it. Though, I do right? know about it. It's on Disney Plus. That is correct. Yeah. So it's uh, he. Uh, what did he do? Edited, created, whatever the Beatles documentary. Get back. Uh huh. Yeah. So I didn't know if you had heard about it or not. So I had heard about it. I started watching it. It's in three episodes. So I just about through the first episode. Oh, okay, um, okay. I enjoyed it so far. It's been good to see see all those guys but mm-hmm. a lot of younger people i don't know they didn't grow up with with the beatles so it's probably you know old <laughs> old uh culture for for them so yeah, yeah it's, it's always interesting when you when you you see all these like actors and whatnot like doing this ad, you know these advertising like on the billboards and such and i'm like at what point does that person on that billboard you know, to the newer generation become just like this random old guy or this random yeah. like old woman. And yeah, it's like, yeah. who's that person? Because like, at what point do like your relevance drop off? And I suspect it's yeah. fairly quick. It, well, I remember a few years ago now, it was probably five years ago, Paul McCartney was on uh, an award show and, you know, he performed and, you know, on Facebook or somewhere, there were someone saying like, who is this guy, Paul McCartney? And of course it, it caused a big to do and everybody was freaking out. I was like, what? How can you say, how can you not know who Paul McCartney is? But it's just like the younger generation, you know, Paul McCartney is like in his seventies. Yeah. That's so, true. yeah. Anyway, just quickly, I'm going to blast through this because I know we're, we're gone long here on our, our long in the tooth. <laughs> Our chat, but like there, there's a website called ScreenRant.com. So, and and this is from them because I'm looking up, um, you know, Beatles, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Was it ever? Was it ever a thing? Mm-hmm. And here it is. Okay, I'm gonna read from the ScreenRant.com article. So just bear with me. I'll try to go through it quick. Okay. A very different Lord of the Rings movie almost saw the light of day thanks to 1960s music phenomenon, The Beatles. 
this concept isn't actually as strange as it sounds. In decades past, it wasn't unusual for wildly popular music artists to have a strong presence in movie theaters. Uh, as such, the idea of the Beatles adapting Tolkien perhaps wasn't outlandish as it would be today. In the years since, it's been confirmed that Paul McCartney would have portrayed protagonist Frodo, John Lennon would have been Gollum, George Harrison was set to play Gandalf, and Ringo Starr would appear as Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, two major obstacles would halt the project in its tracks, the first being a struggle to land a big-name director. John Lennon was reportedly dr the driving force behind the Beatles' Lord of the Rings movie and was eyeing Stanley Kubrick to direct the feature. While Kubrick also had an affinity for the source material, he was skeptical about the feasibility of bringing Tolkien to live action in the 19th 1960s. Mm. And after failing to land their man, the Beatles began to lose interest in the idea altogether. Another major setback, this I like this one. Another major setback came directly from Tolkien himself. According to Peter Jackson, the Beatles' journey to Mount Doom was killed off completely because Tolkien, at this juncture, still held the rights to his story, and not being especially big a big fan of the band refused to let four musicians on copious amounts of drugs adapt his life's work. <laughs> uh, and just to finish off, while the prospect is undoubtedly intriguing, especially considering Tolkien's mind-melting Tom Bombadil chapters, it's perhaps a blessing that the Beatles' Lord of the Rings film never got made. The musical comedic and trippy nature of the band's past cinematic efforts would have been a poor fit for the world of Tolkien, undoubtedly set uh, upsetting the book's fans in the process. Moreover, translating a believable Middle-earth into live action was enough of a challenge in the early 2000s. To do so 40 years earlier would have been nigh on impossible. Although the draw of the Beatles would have guaranteed a profit for all involved, a critical uh, panning might might have tainted the Lord of the Rings as a viable music venture and scupper plans for a proper adaption in later years. So we might never have actually had the Peter Jackson version if if the Beatles had have made made yeah. a you know a Yellow Submarine <laughs> type oh, uh, ver version of it. Yeah, I, I think yeah. you know you're, you hit the nail on the head. Like if we had that, plus we had. Um, that like animated, you know, Lord of the Rings that came out. Yeah. Both of those, it would have been almost like it would have been stigmatized. No one would have touched Lord of the Rings because it's like two failures yeah. already. No, 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 no. We're not yeah. going near this. Yeah, we can't. We can't pull that one back out. But mm -hmm. listen to this. Okay, you know the song "Get Back," because yes. what happens if the Beatles did grab a hold of? Of, of Tolkien's work, mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. So the, the song Be Get Back, there's, there's a verse in there. Jojo was a man who thought he was a loner, but he knew he couldn't last. Jojo left his home in Tucson, Arizona for some California grass. Okay, so here, here's what that song could have sounded like if it was done by the, by the Beatles, okay? Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have been called Get Back it would have been called Bag End. And oh, it would have geez. gone like this. Bilbo was a lad who thought he was a burglar, but he knew it wouldn't last. 
Bilbo left his hole with Thor and Oaken Shield for some lonely mountain cash. Bag end. Bag end. Bag end is where you really belong. There you go. That's what wow. it could have been. It wow. could have been that. Well, I'm fine with those kind of lyrics, but just don't act. Like, just, just you can <laughs> yeah, say in the yeah. background. <laughs> Now we're on to Let's Talk About. And this is our main segment, and we're going to talk about today Hold Ground Objective, where we're going to cover all sorts of wonderful things like the mission overview um, recounted by the sultry tones of Mr. Don. And uh, we're going to go through our, our ranking the army types. Uh, and right after that, we're going to do a, a little army versus army thoughts on the underdog. And lastly, tips and tricks on the mega win. So over to you, Don. All right. I'll just read the scenario. And I like to read the fluff part of it. So in the swirl of battle, it becomes apparent that a certain usually insignificant area of the battlefield has become vital to the victory of both sides. Both forces surge towards this new tactical advantage, desperate to control it. And that's actually a very important part of this scenario, isn't it, Andrew? Mm-hmm. Desperate, surge towards it, desperate to control it. That's right. Um, okay, layout. Uh, I'm just going to sort of paraphrase this. So um, set up terrain and place an objective marker in the center of the battlefield. Um, that's all it says, an objective marker. Done. Uh, players also agree which direction is north this is important for determining where the reinforcements arrive starting positions at the start of the battle the forces are yet to arrive models are not deployed at the start of the game but will enter as the game continues see special rules later on which we all know is maelstrom of battle uh, initial priority roll d6 player with a high score has a priority first turn objectives once one force has been broken, the game might suddenly end at the end of each turn. After this condition has been met, roll a d6 on a 1 or 2, the game ends. Otherwise, the battle continues for another turn. Uh, victory points. You score 3 victory points if you have more models within 6 inches of the objective marker than mm -hmm. your opponent. If you have twice as many models within six inches of the objective marker than your opponent, then you instead score five victory points. If you have three times as many models um, within six inches of objective marker, uh, you score seven victory points. One victory point for causing one or more wounds on the enemy leader. Wounds prevented by successful fate do not count. If you kill the enemy leader, you instead score two. You score one victory point if the enemy force is broken at the end of the game. If the enemy force is broken and your force is unbroken, you instead score three victory points. Special rules. Maelstrom of battle. Blah. At the end of your move phase, roll a d6 for each of your warbands not on the battlefield and consult the chart below. The warband's captain can use might to alter the roll either up or down. Models can't charge in the turn that they arrive, but otherwise act normally. 
roll for each warband separately. Deploy the models in the warband if the D6 allows, then roll for the next. Warbands yet to arrive count as being on the battlefield for the purposes of determining if your force is broken. And then we have the results. Uh, one does not arrive. Two, your opponent chooses a point on either the north or south board edges at least six inches from the corner. All models in the warband move onto the battlefield from this point. Three, your opponent chooses same thing, but it's either... Um, East or west. Right. Four, you choose a point north or south, six inches from the corner, blah, blah, blah. Five, you choose east or west. And six, you choose any point on the board. All right. has to be six inches from the edge, though. That's right. From a, from a, well, not from the edge, from a, a corner. From the corner. corner that's right, sorry. That's right. Yeah. Wow, that's a whole lot to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, well, I think... The first thing is, let's talk about victory points. This is your standard seven VPs for the main objective. Then there's always leader and break, right? So yeah. that's just, that's generally what you're going to see in, in most missions, except for sort of like some smaller ones. Like uh, we talked about yesterday with, um, not yesterday, last mission, into to the death and all that stuff. So to be expected, right? So if you're going to get 12-0, you're getting seven for having three times as many in the middle. You're getting mm -hmm. three for breaking and not being broken, and you're getting two for killing the leader. That's right. And your leader is not even wounded. That's right. The, ch the real challenge here is your opponent can't even have a model within six inches of the objective marker. That's a yeah. big thing. That's a 12-inch like objective marker, right? Because it's a six-inch radius. So it's a yeah. 12-inch objective marker, and you have to keep them away from... Um, even be able to get within that zone right before the game ends. That's not an easy feat, right, to get seven. Now let's make this entire discussion on whether or not the vanquishers of the necromancer are good or bad at this mission. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, oh to answer your question, they're actually really good at this mission. But anyways, <laughs> um, all right. So you know when we talk about all the other missions, it's very easy easy to set up a ranking system for the different army types because uh, the mission from deployment to end game sort of flows in a, in a linear f uh, fashion, right? There's no big mm -hmm. hiccups from the mission perspective. Obviously things change when it comes to the game uh, between you and your opponent. Uh, when it comes to hold ground, unfortunately the big hiccup is Maelstrom of Battle. And the yeah. other Maelstrom missions, it's not too oppressive, but in hold ground, it's really bad. And so for this uh, mission debrief, we are going to have two sets of rankings. And that is um, army types who uh, won priority first turn and army types who lost priority uh, first turn. And Yeah, because essentially it can be... The, it's a huge swing whether it's good or bad for you whether mm -hmm. or not you're you're going first or second in this mission that's the big thing with this one and yeah. just you mentioned um, there was other missions so there are two other scenarios that use maelstrom uh, mm -hmm. scenario 10 heirloom of ages past and mm -hmm. 13 command the battlefield so there are three Right, yeah, Heirlooms of Ages Past isn't too bad for this um, and it's heirloom it's singular Heirloom of Ages Past. There's only one heirloom. There's not more than one heirloom. When you're rolling that D6 and you're hoping for the six, you really hope there's multiple heirlooms at that point. Uh, anyways, we digress. So let's dive right into this. 
Let's um, do it. So how are we presenting this? So we are going to present the rank and then we're going to present with priority and without priority. So quick disclaimer, okay. quick you know, caveat before we dive into this. Getting priority on the first turn is a bad thing. Okay. And that is because you are deploying your models first and your opponent gets to react to your deployment. Okay. And for a lot of army types, not the greatest thing to have happen. Okay. And so True. that's why when we say with priority, it's generally going to be the weaker of the two options. And without priority is almost always the stronger of the two options. Okay. Right. So are we starting out at the top or We're at the bottom? Starting out at the top. Number We're one. Starting at the top. Okay. Number one, so that's right. So in, remember, in To the Death, I said that Horde was atrocious and was definitely down at number five uh, in rankings. Well, actually, in uh, Hold Ground, I rate Horde as number one. And I rate it both with priority and without priority. That's right. Yeah. It's a bold move, but you know what? Two things here. Winning um, Hold Ground... Um, in big in, in, in a large part comes down to deploying okay and there's all sorts of different deployment strategies you can utilize um, but only horde can utilize them all and utilize them all effectively um, every army other every other army type can only utilize some and the ones they can utilize come to varying degrees of effectiveness depending upon who their opponent is, but Horde doesn't care. They can utilize all of them, and we'll go through all those strategies later on. But needless to say, um, you know, if a Horde, you know, if you know, if a Horde opponent like rolls their their warbands in the maelstrom, rolls terrible, rolls twos and threes, and your opponent's deploying their warbands all over the place, they don't care. They have so many warbands. And their key elements, which is going to be like, for example, with Goblin Town, we'll take that as an example, uh, which is um, the Goblin King and Grinna um, and the Goblin Scribe. Generally, all those will be deployed together as one big lump, right? Everything else, if mm -hmm. it gets scattered, that's fine. Not a big deal. Okay. Well, you got to think too, because the opponent of the Horde is also deploying by Maelstrom. So mm -hmm. probably, probably not getting their army all together either. So mm -hmm. it'll be worse for the other player than it will be for, for the Horde. Well, I also say this. Um, for the Horde army, when if you don't choose to spend might to affect your Maelstrom roll, um, it's not... And, you know, game crippling because you know. Let's say you've got three war, you got seven war bands, and three of them get surrounded and killed. Okay, well, who cares? Because as long as those three war bands did their job holding up your opponent while you marched your way onto the center of the objective, that's fine. Because mm -hmm. now you're defending the objective, and you want the game to end quickly. You want yourself to hit break. I mean, ideally, not before your opponent does. But if you hit break first, guess what? You're standing on the objective with a lot more models, and you're going to pick up the seven VPs. So um, losing those isolated warbands is not a tremendously bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing. Um, whereas your opponent, they're going to almost always want to spend might to affect their maelstrom roll, right? Because you can spend might to affect your maelstrom roll uh, to sort of use those strategies, those deployment strategies they want. And so they'll actually be starting the game with potentially a lot less might than what they would normally do in a normal game. And, and that can be very um, detrimental to them. Uh, and remember, the name of the game of Hold Ground is get the most amount of models within six inches radius of the objective, the center objective, and Horde always have the most amount of models. So this is their wheelhouse game. So mm -hmm. that we're talking about is with priority. 
Now let's dive into without. Remember, without is the stronger of the two. Well, without priority, the Horde army is very difficult to beat because they can deploy anywhere to counter pretty much any deployment strategy that your opponent utilizes, right? So if you decide to consolidate your forces, well, your opponent, your, your Horde army can do like a pincer move and swarm the edges and just envelop um, your, your opponent's army, right? So like that, that, that um, so let's say you're the Horde player and your opponent is, let's say, uh, a line breaker or something like that. You can take half your horde army, deploy it on the on, on the flanks of your opponent's um, army, swarm it fully with the expectation of dying. But as long as the other half of your army rolls up onto the objective, well, you're going to probably win the game. That's with seven VPs, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other piece is if you decide to, as an army, deploy your whole horde as sort of a consolidated fashion, well, guess what? You can pretty much blanket an entire deployment edge and make it yours so that your opponent can't even sort of in, try to envelop you, right? So you can you can block a lot of counterplay tactics with a horde, um, especially when you, uh, when you don't have priority. And so that's why I put them at numero uno. Yeah, like a lot of this to me, there's, in, there's some things that I would jump in and, and talk about in the tips or tricks part of this mm -hmm. and i think we should mention one of them right off the top here because it plays such a big part in this mission um and all of these rankings and mm -hmm. and it affects what you have just gone through with horde and that is what you don't want to do in this mission is to get drawn into fights around the edge of the board it's so tempting to do that because a lot of the time your instincts will tell you i can i can attack and overwhelm that one warband on the edge of the table mm -hmm. but ultimately what happens is it takes three turns four turns for you to kill that warband and those models that you've dedicated to that move will never make it to the center of the table by the time the game ends that's usually what always happens in, in this mission. So it's one thing that I always try to do. And, and unless you're extremely confident that you can wipe out a target like that within two turns, mm -hmm. I always try to avoid those board edge fights yeah. because the, it ends up just taking out whatever units you... Um, commit to that it usually takes them out of the objective grabbing part of the game mm -hmm. and controlling the center not just having more models at the center of the table but also getting to the table and killing your opponent's models that are at the center of the table so you need your models at the center of the table not at the edge of the table mm -hmm. um and the thing that's really good about Horde is they can afford to sacrifice a warband to hold up one of your warbands at the edge of the table, and they don't care, right? Mm -hmm. Because the odds are your warband is not going to make it to the middle before the game ends. Yeah. And they don't care if they sacrifice one for one model, one for one model with mm -hmm. you in that way. So anyway, I just wanted to jump in with that comment because it is a tip or a trick, but it's so important for for all of these rankings. So true. Like, as you said it yourself, if you have less models than your opponent, like egregiously so in many cases, mm -hmm. 
never ever fight off of the objective. And this, this applies to any objective game, whether you're playing domination, whether you're playing capture and, uh, capture and control, anything. Mm -hmm. You never ever want to fight off of the objective. You always want the battle to be on the objective. Um, and conversely speaking, for those who are defending objectives, you never want to fight on the objective, right? So if you're trying to rush to take an objective, don't be fighting off of it because you're not claiming any points for fighting these models and they're going to yeah. do their best to waylay you. Whereas uh, if you're defending an objective, absolutely send out as many models as you can afford to de de you know, delay your opponent because the more they're fighting off of objectives, that means the less points that they're going to have at yeah. the end of the game. And, and there is some minutia we can get into yeah. once we get past the rankings around mm -hmm. that point. But let's let's keep going on with, uh, with the rankings. So that was number one. It mm -hmm. was Horde for both with priority and without priority and only Horde. That's right. That's right. right. So what about number two? Number two, there is nothing with priority. Shocker alert, no other army type in the game um, does hold ground very well when they have lost priority or when they have won priority in the first turn. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, winning priority in this is not is not what you want. No, you really don't want to win priority in this. No. Um, so let's talk mobile, okay? Uh, they are we're, they are ranked number two in the without priority phase. Okay, the without priority mobile? section. Yes, that's right. Mobile, that's right. Because without priority, um, a mobile army can often counter deploy with extreme effectiveness. And what I mean here mm -hmm. is, so let's say your opponent walks on the table. You as a mobile player walk on, generally speaking, seven inches away, right? So your opponent can't counter charge you, but you are primed to go to charge them with your mobile yeah. elements, right? And so you can steamroll elements of their warband. And I would say between Linebreaker and Mobile, these are probably the only two army types where you can fight off of the objective in an overwhelming um, two warbands to one kind of situation to just take out an isolated warband very quickly. Because mm -hmm. one, you get the extra attack, two, you get the knockdown, and three, you get the speed to get your to get yourself back to the center objective very quickly. Yeah. So just don't get carried away and break the enemy while you're not on the objective. Very true, very true. <laughs> So, so yeah, definitely mobile has the ability to like de devastate those isolated warbands very quickly um, because you can always send, like let's say you can send 95% of your fours to fight off of the objective. Well, guess what? Sending two or three models, two or three mobile models to the center, boom, you're on the objective in three turns flat, right? Like yeah. if that. Um, and so you're good to go. Um, so that's mobile. Now we're diving into an interesting one, still on rank two, is Leaf Blower. And so I know you're all thinking to yourself, hold on a second, this is a shooting army and a stationary shooting army. Why would they do well in hold ground without priority? Well, here's why. Without priority, without priority. moving second. Moving second, that's right. So here's the thing. A Leaf Blower army almost always wants to consolidate deployment. That means they deploy their whole army together as one, right? And they're doing this. Um, now they... You know, as a basic tactic, you want to consolidate deployment. Uh, but if your opponent decides to consolidate deployment, that is, they deploy their whole army together, a leaf blower can do sort of um, a sparse deployment where they're choosing as many table edges as they can. And we'll get into the reason why in a second. So you're deploying as far away from your opponent as possible, okay? In most missions, your opponent wants to meaningfully engage your leaf blower line to stop you from shooting, 
right? Um, but in a hold ground game, that means walking away from the objective, which is within this, you know, the center of the table. So either you meaningfully engage the um, the leaf blower army, in which case you're not on the objective, or you sporadically send models out, in which case they're shot to death because sending six or seven models out against a leaf blower is a recipe for dying. Okay, so it really presents a really nasty conundrum um, against a leaf blower army that is allowed to deploy optimally, right? And so as a leaf blower player, I'm going to sit there and just shoot you and I'm just going to keep shooting you. And because I have so many turns, I'm going to aim to dismount your heroes. Heck, I might as well just aim to kill your heroes, right? Because I want to take away all your strengths. And then because I don't mind shooting for an hour or an hour and a half of a two hour game, because when I get you close to break, that's when I'll start walking towards the objective. Like three or four models from break, I'll start walking towards the objective. And then I'll move into a position where I'll just surround you and overwhelm you because I'll have way more models, your heroes won't be mounted, and they'll probably be heavily weakened or dead. And then I can just scoop up the, uh, scoop up the center. Okay, I'm not sure I agree with you here. Mm. Um, and, and full disclosure, I have only just read this about an hour ago. Mm. Um, uh, I, I do agree with you, but there, there would be a caveat um, to this. And that caveat would be, I would completely agree with all of what you just said if there was no time limit. Because the leaf blower can just play it cool for the first half of the game. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, yeah, just run to the center, go for it. You know, run right past me, run to the center, collect all your models in the center, mm -hmm. and I won't kill any of your models until you get to the center. And it's like, are you there? Are you where you want to be? Okay, great. I'm like 15 inches away from you, and I will now start shooting you. And, you know, you probably don't have to worry too much about the return fire. Mm -hmm. um, because you're gonna kill their archers first. So essentially what you're doing is it's all one-sided. Right. Your opponent is in the middle, you are surrounding them or whatever, mm -hmm. and you're just shooting them um, until they're getting to the point where they're almost broken, and then you charge in. It, it, it's a great recipe for a win. Mm -hmm. However, it would rely on there being no time limit because mm -hmm. in, in, in a one and a half to two hour game, it's a little bit different. You can't really afford to take all of the time in the world to to set up that situation and, and then just peck away at your opponent uh, until you reach the optimum point of a charge. Um, so it could work. And if it did, if you had the right opponent, um, nice squishy opponent, um, you know, and not too big of an army that was going to take forever to shoot them down to 50%. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. But I think there would be some matchups that this wouldn't really work very well. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you did this against a shield wall army, I don't know if it would work because you, your kills would, would be a lot slower in coming. You know, the, the time is ticking by and, you know, you may end up finding yourself with 15 minutes left and, and your opponent is, is pushing you off the objective. You can't even approach the objective because mm -hmm. we'll be talking about that once we get to to the tips and tricks. And like if you get to the objective first... It's, it can be a huge advantage. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, I do agree with you, but I think time is a, is a big consideration here. 
I would disagree with you there. Um, like you make some good points. Like, I mean, when you're looking at, let's say, a Rangers of Athelion list, strength two against Dwarves defense seven, mm -hmm. right? Your, your kill ratio is going to plummet, right? But those, those matchups are few and far between, right? It's generally Rangers of Athelion versus like defense six, right? Of any kind. Okay. Uh, and, and yeah, you're right. Like these are fluid rankings, right? So if I said mm -hmm. um, Rangers of Athelion versus Iron Hills, well, guess what? You wouldn't be a two. You might be a three or a four in this scenario. Mm -hmm. Or Rangers of Athelion versus um, something with blinding light. Guess what? You're dropping down, right? So, yeah. but the, the time component here that you're talking about is actually a lot less because remember, the biggest chunk of uh, any game is in the combat phase, right? Everyone's moving in, you're carefully measuring things, you're rolling yeah. dice, right? Yeah. Both people are being in, are interacting. Whereas in the shooting phase, things tend to go very quickly, right? Because it's like, I'm shooting him, splash dice, uh, counted mm -hmm. up, dead. I'm done a shooting phase in seven minutes. I'm not moving, right? So my yeah. turn from start to finish is seven minutes. Your turn might be um, 10 minutes to move your guys, right? And so yeah. I could do four shooting phases or five shooting phases an hour, hour and 15, at which point in time it's like, I take a look at the clock. I say, okay, it's time to move in at this point. Let's go. And so by the time you're done your five, six shooting phases or four or five shooting phases, whatever mm -hmm. your numbers are, um, you know, you could have killed anywhere between 20 and 60% of your opponent's army, Yeah. right? Depending upon the matchup, right? And, and again, like if you're saying it's defense seven versus strength two shooting, well, you got to use your, you got to make your decision about whether you want to sit there and shoot and hope for the best or rush to the mm -hmm. center and die while the holding the holding the battle line no, right? I, I see your point and I do agree with you one of the most time consuming parts of the game is is the combat phase mm -hmm. absolutely that's there's no question about that um, however I would counter that point by mm -hmm. saying that some of the longest games that you can play out of all of the missions, are the Maelstrom missions. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's because your models are starting from the edge of the board. Mm -hmm. um, true. So you do have a point, but however, counterpoint, Maelstrom of battle yeah. makes for long games. But anyway, let's move on. Maybe we don't a hundred percent agree on that, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm kind of there with you. Okay, I appreciate that. I like the degree to disagree here, and I like your yeah. counterpoints. So we're good. It's all good. Uh, so the last one at rank two is Linebreaker. Okay, and the reason why I'm saying this is because without priority, and we already talked about how mobile is a great um, army for ice, attacking isolated warbands, okay? Mm -hmm. Guess what Linebreaker likes to do? It likes to attack an entire battle line and wipe it out, right? So the Linebreaker doesn't care if you consolidate your force and put it all together. It is going to deploy either in a, a pincer move, which are on both your opponent's sides, or it's going to deploy everything on one side of your opponent. Mm -hmm. Because one of the biggest challenges to a line breaker is getting to your opponent as quickly as possible, right? So avoiding those yeah. things like shooting and all that kind of stuff, right? Whereas if I get to just deploy right beside you, seven inches out mm -hmm. with my line breaker elements, and then just charge into you and mow through you as fast as possible, I'm willing to do that because... I'm generally going to have three or four just like cav elements to my line breaker that I can then just send to the objective while I'm wiping out my opponent um, as fast as I possibly can. 
Um, and this is one of those army types where I really don't mind fighting you off the objective because I'm going to massacre you as quickly as I can while pushing you know, a minimal amount of cav to the objective and they'll get there before you break. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're struggling to survive, let alone trying to send guys to the, to the, to the middle. So that's why I put a line breaker at, at number two. I, I totally agree with you here. Um, and, and earlier on I said, you know, avoid fighting on the edge of the board. And then you immediately said, well, except for mobile, because mobile are cav and, and they can mop up like an isolated warband. Well, it's even more true with line breaker, isn't it? Yep. And in fact, I would spend might to adjust where I came onto the board to come within charge range of an isolated warband because mm -hmm. that's what you said. The the line breaker is there to isolate and destroy elements of the opponent's army and when you're charging a shield wall that can be challenging because you have to watch your step because the rest of their army is right there mm -hmm. um, so if you do something wrong and they jump on you it's game over but here if if they have a, a isolated warband separated way away from the, all their other warbands mm -hmm. you, you spend might to start right close to it mm -hmm. because you have to eventually break that army mm -hmm. and so it's a lot easier to do that if you can isolate and destroy an uh, a warband by itself and and linebreaker excels at killing things quickly so this is the exception this is the biggest exception to what I said don't get in, engaged on on the edge of the boards and that is if you're if you're playing linebreaker and of course you're gonna have cavalry there you're gonna charge isolated warbands you're gonna destroy them quickly and then you still have the mobility you're you're to get to the center your opponent is nowhere near broken but you've taken probably you know a dozen of their models off the table so you've got a good head start to breaking. Mm -hmm. I would even go as far as to say that if your opponent deployed their entire army together, to, to my earlier point, if, my, if your opponent deployed their entire army together, I would still spend might to put my whole army and, and wrap it around them so okay. that I'm going to engage your whole army with my whole army on turn two. Uh, and you know what? I'm fine with that because that's what Linebreaker wants. It wants to be up in your face ASAP. And more often than not, when people deploy like that, they don't move on half so that they can shoot. They move the full six. Well, guess what? If you move the full six, <laughs> you're not shooting me first turn, which means I'm diving into combat. And then my, 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 my heroes, my Linebreaker elements are not going to be dismounted. So mm -hmm. you're giving me the optimal charge situation, and I'm mm -hmm. totally fine with that. Right on. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, let's go down to rank three. Now, rank three, with or without priority, I would say this is where the shield wall lives, right? Mm -hmm. Because the shield wall does one thing. Whether it has priority or whether it doesn't have priority in the first term, it is going to deploy everything in one area because the shield wall loves to stay together. Mm -hmm. And then it's just going to heroic march up to the center. And then once it gets to the center, it's going to take that massive high defense force it's got and it's just going to sort of bubble wrap the objective and mm -hmm. it's going to say, come at me. Whether you have priority or that you don't, <laughs> that's what the shield wall does. Come at me, bro. That's right. It's like, come at me, grind me down. We, the shield wall loves the war of attrition and it does it well. And so that is literally what it's going to do, whether it has priority or whether it doesn't. This is like one of the, the no-brainer missions for the shield wall. It doesn't make it the best mission for the shield wall army, but it's a mission where it's like, eh, I don't really care whether whatever I roll because I'm just going to walk on and walk right up to the objective. 
this is one here too where shield wall shield wall tactics it's all about staying together so one thing that's really bad about this mission for shield wall well two things one is they're normally not all that fast um and two if your warbands get deployed far apart from one another, your army doesn't function nearly as well mm -hmm. uh, as it normally would. So this is where you really have to think hard about spending might. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one of the tricks I do is, um, in, in this is, what, what I do is I always roll for my units that have the least amount of might whoa, first. Whoa, 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 We'll get to that in the tips and tricks, It's important. This is shield wall, man. We're talking about it. We got we to gotta, we gotta get a little bit into it. Okay, right? okay. And, and that is, it's like your, your warbands that have the least amount of might in them, those are the ones that you roll for first because you're not going to adjust the roll. Mm -hmm. of, of that one and you're probably going to then try to get your other units to deploy close to that first unit you know and this is where you may need to spend might so it's it's good to save your units that have more might for the later drops mm -hmm. 100% agree and we'll get into that subject in a lot more detail uh, into the trips tips yeah, and tricks. Uh, sorry I didn't mean to burst your uh, Okay. tricks and tips no, but and this tricks is important, though. bubble like, um, is. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as well yeah on, it's but. it comes down to like why our shield wall like captain average mm -hmm. at, at this mission and those are kind of the two big reasons the two big yeah. negatives yeah they need to stay together they have all their synergistic bonuses together and if they, they scatter deploy they're not they don't want that's not where they want to be I got something else, but I'll save it for the later section so good, that good I man. don't upset you too much. Okay, you better not. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got to build up. You know, this is suspense okay. here. All right, all right. Uh, okay, so also in rank three, under the without priority, is combined arms. Now, you'll probably have noticed that I haven't included combined arms in rank two, or, um, and I've just barely touched on it now in rank three. Mm, yeah. and, and that's in part because combined arms doesn't really like this mission. And they don't like it for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because most combined arms have a siege weapon and most combined arms have magic, right? So under Maelstrom of Battle, siege engines have to be deployed first, okay? And this can be problematic because if you deploy um, your siege engine first, your opponent then has a target to go and kill, uh, especially if your siege engine is a particularly nasty thing. Um, in which case, you unfortunately have a secondary objective, and that is the objective of defending your siege engine from getting mm -hmm. wiped out, or you can just give it up. Uh, but spoiler alert, siege engines die very quickly when they're not supported. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it is like a real negative. Um, like having a siege engine is, is good. And if you deploy your siege engine and it goes unmolested and the game moves to the center of the table, Awesome, mm -hmm. awesome. But the problem is the deployment of the siege engine becomes almost a nail in your coffin at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Because then all of the deployments centers around, it's all about where the siege engine gets placed. Mm -hmm. So you're forced to try to get all of your army close to your siege engine or your opponent's just going to jump on it and wipe it out and maybe mm -hmm. even you know maybe even do a heroic uh, a heroic off it and move closer to the middle 
Exactly. Um, the other piece to this, uh, so that's that's a really big, you know, bad tra- detractor to combined arms. But when you lose priority in the first uh, round of uh, the game, you have the ability to, to sort of you know, choose where you want to go. So if your opponent decides to sort of go after your siege engine to destroy it, you can counter that move by throwing your own models there. So you can almost use your siege engine as bait, right? And so um, that gives you that great opportunity to sort of like bait your opponent into sending maybe an isolated warband because, you know, one warband is more than sufficient to kill a siege engine, but it isn't when they're all of a sudden swarmed by two of your own warbands, right? So Having lost that priority gives you that opportunity to defend your siege engine. The other piece is if you sort of walk on um, your combined arms uh, in range of you know of enemy heroes, your spellcaster or spellcasters have the ability to start working immediately at whittling down your opponent's will through things like sorcerer's blast, black dark, that kind of stuff, right? Because you when, when you don't, where when you do win priority for combined arms, you don't get that chance because you've already done your full move with your spellcaster. There's no casting of spells because there's no enemy to, to cast on. So your opponent can literally just come on right beside you and you're like, oh boy, this is a problem because casters want distance between enemies yeah. to whittle down their will. I was just going to say that, yeah. And this is about going second, okay? Mm-hmm. This is this is one of another reason why they're not higher. And that's because this army typically has, like, maybe one big hero in it, which will be in a warband that you'll be rolling for, and another possibly spellcaster, which mm-hmm. is probably in another unit that you'll be rolling for separately. Mm-hmm. So they may, they may end up far apart from one another. They may end up isolated. And those are the type of targets that are worth considering having a fight on the edge of the board. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you can take out a wizard or even just keep them there mm-hmm. for the whole game, with half as many points of models, well, it's it's very well worth it, yeah. isn't it? It's well points well spent, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump down to, to rank four. Now, surprise, surprise, when you get to rank four and five, you are oftentimes finding all the other army types in the <laughs> with priority section, i.e. I'm yeah. screwed. Um, we're, we're we're on the on the bad side of the bell curve here now. Oh yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> so now we're diving into rank four, which is mobile, and we're only in the with priority. There's nothing in the rank four and five under without priority. Okay, that just mm-hmm. goes to show you how powerful losing priority in hold ground for that first turn is. Okay, so anyways, yeah. back to mobile. Um, this is a, a really terrible situation to be in for a mobile army. Okay, and here's why. If you scatter deploy, right, like let's say there's an isolated, there's an element of your warband that's deployed poorly, well, your opponent can just walk on and all of a sudden it comes down to a heroic move off. If you lose the heroic move off, they swarm your your mobile unit and it's Mm -hmm. dead. They're going to kill them, right? Yeah, because remember, I'll I'll just jump in here quickly. Mm -hmm. So cavalry typically move 10, Mm -hmm. so they're moving on 10, and infantry typically move 6, so you're moving four within four inches so the second turn the mobile army can lose the game if they lose the heroic move off literally and just get charged absolutely it's it's horrible the other piece is if you're a mobile player and you consolidate deploy that means again move your whole army on one spot your opponent can do a pincer deploy move wherein they're deploying on either side of you and here's the scary part if they do this and they do it well enough, when they position well enough, the next turn, 
you are both winning and losing the heroic move off because they'll call heroic moves on either side. You'll counter and one half of your army will win the heroic move off and the other half will lose it. So one side of your force has the potential of being charged while they're flat footed, at which point in time they're dead. And not good. Not good. So that's why I would put them down at four. Okay. Do you have any other thoughts on the mobile? No, I agree. If like having a having a whole war band of cavalry get caught flat-footed by a unit, even it doesn't even matter if they're mounted or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's terrible because you know they can heroic combat off uh, off of warriors and and start killing horses, and it's just it's all bad. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You know. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's continue on to rank four. We've got combined arms. Surprise. So combined arms with priority is a four because if they want to keep their siege engine, they literally almost literally have to consolidate deploy on top of it, turn one, to sort of tell their opponent, you're not becoming to my siege engine, go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that really telegraphs where you're going to be. So your opponent can sort of counter that by being like, okay, I can either do a pincer deploy or I can just deploy somewhere else. Um, it doesn't matter to me because I know exactly where you're going to deploy, you're, where you're going to deploy because you need to defend that. The second piece is you have no idea where you're going to deploy your archers because your opponent, um, you don't know where they're going to be. So oftentimes you're going to say, well, my, my other big, you know, um, you know, energy, or strength is shooting. I can't use it, so I might as well just rush to the center. So now you're losing that that, that piece. And the, the last thing that we talked about before was if your spellcaster is coming on first turn and there's nothing to cast on, well, then they have no chance of whittling down your opponent's will. So you're all these things that um, the synergistic bonuses and strengths of the combined arms, they lose all of it in this situation. Yeah, and that, that's the whole idea of the combined arms is that you have all these different elements um, that work very well together. But they don't work very well when they're isolated. You know, if you have a whole unit of archers, for example, uh, it, it doesn't work very well if it gets charged in in uh, melee, you mm-hmm. know, second turn or something like that. Um, and and for example, like you you take a mobile element in an army like this, and it, it's mainly for uh, board play. It's for objective grabbing. It's for looking for opportunities or whatever. Do when you're deploying first like a a mobile element usually finds itself rushing to defend another unit in your army rather Mm -hmm. than playing the board you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah agreed uh and so the last army under the rank four is the line breaker okay so you're saying to yourself hold on a second if they're ranked two uh without priority why are they ranked four with well a line breaker is probably the smallest of the army sizes Okay, um, so they don't want to scatter deploy when they have to deploy first because your opponent will then say, okay, I want to wipe out one of these warbands and I'm going to throw my whole army at doing it, uh, at which point the line breaker force, that, that one warband will, will collapse very quickly. Yeah. And line breaker armies cannot afford to lose their ablative shield wall, right? They need to keep that around as long as possible. So they're almost always going to consolidate deploy, right? Which means all together is one. And the problem is you've now telegraphed to your opponent where my super massive um, steamroller of doom is going to be. And your opponent is going to deploy as far away as possible 
while walking to the center and they're going to shoot you or siege engine you or spell cast you um, so that all your heroes that are on their horses are going to get knocked off and your line breaker elements are going to falter very quickly. Uh, it is not a place for a line breaker. It's not where they want to be. Yeah, and uh, I got to say this one here too, and this is like, yeah, I think you mentioned this just now, but um, if you have to deploy first, which is what we're talking about here, mm -hmm. then your opponent has has the opportunity again to probably move their infantry models within four inches of you. Mm -hmm. And then the second turn becomes very important. Um, however, even on the first turn, well, you're not allowed to charge, but you are allowed to shoot. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you see, you know, a war band that has all these juicy mounted heroes and you just happen to have a unit with a lot of throwing weapons, for example, mm -hmm. well, what makes a better target than that for a volley of throwing weapons on yep. the first turn? You know, so you move right up to within four inches, five inches, six inches, and you unleash with all your throwing weapons. And yeah, maybe you're going to knock out a couple of horses, key targets like that. That is devastating to an army like that. Agreed, 100%. Or if your opponent walks three inches onto the table with the 24 inch bow, well, guess what? That's freebie shooting right there. They'll just dump yep. shots and they don't care if they, they, if, they, if they dismount one hero, that's all your points for your entire archery allotment for um, made back yeah. right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's move down to rank five. And as you surprise, surprise, there's only one army list left. This is the bottom of the barrel this right here. This is the bottom of the barrel. So where I, you know, where we contested a rank two for leaf blower without priority, I think we both will agree uh, a with priority leaf blower <laughs> um, uh, is terrible. It is the worst situation they want to be in because yeah. you will do a consolidate deploy. So you have two options here. You can do a consolidate deploy at which point in time your opponent will literally just deploy on top of you and wipe you out, not yeah. giving you a chance to shoot. Okay, so that's option one. It's not a fun option. Option two, I you, you scatter deploy, right? So you deploy your warbands all over the place to prevent that. Unfortunately, your opponent can then um, deploy and wipe out a couple of warbands that are in isolation. Great, you can still shoot, but guess what? You lost probably half your army by this point. So neither situation really lends itself to you doing well because your opponent will do their best to take away your greatest strength, and that is shooting. Yeah, and like like this army, we've we've talked about this army a lot, and it can be a very strong army. But one real problem they have is that they have very little tactical flexibility, mm -hmm. and in this mission, it basically robs them of of their one tactic, and that is to stand back and shoot. Mm -hmm. You can't stand back and shoot because when you deploy first. This is where you're going to deploy, if you're going second, you're going to deploy all your units so that they can get into combat with this unit. Because mm -hmm. at that point, you're going you're gonna to get your entire army into combat with their entire army off the objective. And all you need to do is get a few of your units onto the objective yep. for, for when the break comes. <clears throat> and, and you can control when that happens because oh, yeah. these armies are usually fairly easy to defeat in close combat. Right. I mean, all except for the assault on Helm's Deep, Legendary Legion, where it's strength four to fight for defense six Urukai with Granted. you know walls of shots. Now, 
Mind you, when we talk about these, these rankings, we're talking about you know rankings in generality. These are very fluid, okay? So like, it, it's very fluid based upon matchups. So this, so the idea here is this is just to sort of give you, this is the average of what you would expect to see, right? Yeah. So there may be situations where you're playing against an army where it's like um, one leaf blower versus one horde and your leaf blower is, you know, Assault on Helm's Deep, Legendary Legion, Urukai with max mm -hmm. crossbows and the horde is hobbits. Well, they're not going to charge you. They're not going to swarm you. They're not going to try to envelop you because the hobbits will just die in droves, right? And so all of a sudden that dynamic changes. Um, so don't think for a second that these are just hard and fast, but these are the average, right? And so and, and this is the end of like this, like where we would rank these. Or well, you did all the rankings. I didn't agree with you a hundred percent, but like you but know, that's okay. Ninety percent. Um, but like, I'd love to hear from the listeners if if yeah. if they have a strong disagreement with with where an army type would place here, or maybe maybe something that we've missed, or a very specific, unique type of army where it would would fall in in our rankings yeah i would love to hear about that too you know because yeah, yeah. uh yeah, always good for, always good learning let's just say that army versus army thoughts on the underdog so we've decided to trim this i've decided to trim this one down a bit um and we're just going to talk about everyone versus horde okay because horde is everyone the best versus best. horde seems to be coming a regular thing it's uh, well for, for Wasn't the last one everyone versus the horde? <laughs> well, it was the horde versus everyone else because they were oh, okay. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for this particular one, um, you know, when, you know, if you have priority, right? Like you, you unfortunately won it for the first round. Um, you need to establish your initial position, right? Um, this is probably one of those scenarios where you want to consolidate deploy, you know, and you want to set up an area ideally where the horde can't. Do like a counter deploy so if you can you want to use like terrain or something like that on your left or your right so that the horde army can't swarm you um, on both your sides with a pincer deployment and you're gonna have to expect that the horde army is gonna throw models behind you to try to slow you down you have to just accept that you're gonna lose those models gotta give them up gotta let them die they are your sacrificial lambs to die in for the greater the greater good um, because at the end of the day, you cannot fight Horde off of the objective. You must be fighting on the objective if you want a chance to win this. And you must be getting to the objective first. So if you have to sacrifice 20% of your army to do that, you sacrifice 20% of your army to do that. Because most army types move six inches, give or take, right? If you're not Horde, you move six inches or more. Horde armies generally move four to five inches. Okay, so we're talking hobbits, we're talking goblins of all shapes and sizes. Um, and yeah, pretty much. And so your goal is to get on the table with your slightly faster moving armies uh, and heroic march constantly. Go, 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 right? And if that means you need to conserve the might of your marching models, well then you deploy your marching models first. Right? And so even if you get a bad roll and your opponent sticks them in the corner, that's fine. That's where they go. And then you spend might from all your other non-marching warbands to deploy right beside that first warband. That way you can conserve the might for your marches and you march as fast as you can to the center. Because if you aren't at the center first, it is an extreme uphill battle to knock the horde off of it. Right? Because they can deploy probably 40 models within that six inch radius, that 12 inch diameter. 
you need to be able to cut that in half, if not more, because 40 models is generally the entire army for most other army types. Um, so you desperately need to get there first, and it's better to be dying within that six inch parameter or that six inch radius than it is to be dying off somewhere nowhere near the objective. Yeah, yeah, and this, this is where we're about to come into tips and tricks, and one of the biggest ones there is gonna be protecting the objective, and like you said you know these armies generally move four to five inches so you're probably moving faster mm -hmm. which probably means you're going to get to the objective first it probably means you're in a position to protect the objective and and that's exactly. how you want to gear this fight to go mm -hmm. um the the horde player can afford to put his entire army on your army on the edge of the board with the exception of one warband which will go to the center and mm -hmm. win the game yep Absolutely. And get seven VPs. So you have to accept that and find the the deployment zone with the, the appropriate terrain that allows you to uh, mitigate that where at all possible. The other piece is if you've got any like like mint like cav, like those minor cav elements, don't hesitate to throw them at elements of the horde army to use as sort of like sacrificial roadblocks to stop them from using their full move. Especially like if a horde army calls a heroic march and you move first, throw all your 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 your, your cav into that front wall to block the march to prevent it from really being effective because that can really win you the game. That can get you fully onto the objective with your whole army because if your whole army of 40 models or 35 or 30 models is sitting within that six inches, it is going to be a lot of work for the Horn Army to grind you down because remember, they have to totally envelop you. Totally enveloping you takes time. And that means it's giving you the opportunity to start cutting down their models and pushing them to break. Right. All right, we moving on to tips and tricks. I think so. I've been waiting and waiting. Okay. I'm trying to remember all these little points that I came up with and trying was trying to hold back. But you know, like I like I said, I have a very good memory, but it's short. Yeah, about about thirty seconds. So yeah. hopefully, I can jog his memory. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the first thing is is more of a psychological piece. Okay, deployment is everything. It's a psychological piece. That's right. Deployment and priority is everything. Now, unfortunately, priority you can't control. Deployment you can to a lesser, a greater or lesser extent. But if you win priority the game, the tone of the game can change very quickly for you. And you really have to remain calm and have a strategy um, for, you know, if you have to deploy first. Because if you don't, you're going to get super bitter quickly and you have no hope of winning at that point. Because what are the first words out of our mouth if we play each other oh. in this mission and you win priority? What is the first thing that you say? Oh my God, I've lost. Yep. Yep. I've lost. It's over. I've lost. It's off. I've lost. It's over. And <laughs> that mindset, like for we we do it because we're being goofy, because um, yeah. we played each other for so long. But if you play an opponent, especially at a top table, and you utter those words, your opponent that's like music to your opponent's ears. They're looking yeah. for the mistakes that you're gonna make. Whereas you really, if you really want to do well in this mission, you need to have a deployment strategy uh, against every army type if you win priority and if you lose priority. So something to remember. Absolutely. Um, second piece, 
Let's dive into deployment strategies. Now we've talked a whole bunch about them, so let's get into them. Consolidation, this is the simplest one. You literally deploy all your warbands together in a, as a castle, right? Now, simple as it sounds, it's not actually that simple, okay? And here's why. Normally when you deploy a shield wall, you deploy your shield facing models towards the opponent or towards the center of the table with your bow and spear armed weaker models behind. You do the exact opposite in Maelstrom. You deploy your bow and spear models closer to the center of the table and you deploy your shield models closer to the board edge. And the reason is, if your opponent charges you, guess what? You have your shield models up front and ready to defend. Whereas well, they, they can't actually charge you right away, but they, if they move on to engage you on the second turn, like right there, you're already set up. Yeah. Because if, if you move them on in the traditional way, and they move up behind you, and then they win priority the next turn, they're charging your spearmen. Yeah, and and that's, that is horrible, because then all your guys without spears can't get into the fight. That's right, and they can't support, which means your spearmen who have no shields yeah. are throwing one dice, and you're in big trouble. So this was one of the things I was trying to remember, so that's one off my list. Oh, okay, thank there we feels go. Good. Uh, and actually, you know, we, we did put shield wall at three, so mm -hmm. we, we pointed out some negatives earlier on when we were doing the rankings. This is actually a positive for, for the shield wall because they can actually do this tactic, um, whereas a lot of other armies can't do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's kind of, if you see your opponent do that, and deploy their or move their spears on first and their shields behind it kind of is like eh, he knows what he's doing i'm i guess mm -hmm. i'm not going to be deploying there and attacking him yeah it, it's almost a it's all what do you call that a deterrent it's almost like if you do that you're sort of deterring your opponent from it, it's also a telltale sign that you know your opponent knows their stuff and it's those little things where if you see those little tells where you you realize your opponent is thinking the way you're thinking, that means, okay, he's on the, he or she's on the same level as me, I need to be on my toes. So if you see your opponent reverse deploy their shield wall to defend against the table edges and not the center of the table, you know immediately your opponent knows a thing or two about their army. So be prepared to play a tight fought game. And that's one of those, those great tells because sometimes when you're playing your opponents, you don't know how skilled they are, right? right. Especially if you've never played them before. This is one of those tells. If they so do this, like, they know what they're doing. Even if you have no idea how to play this game and you're just learning, you know, do that move. You lose priority, move your spears on first, your shield's behind, and mm -hmm. your opponent will be like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I really don't know what I'm doing, but... <laughs> you keep believing that. Yes, that's yeah. exactly it. Uh, the other piece to this is deploy your heroes first, right? You deploy your heroes first, they walk forward the most, like, like 10 inches, then you deploy your shield wall, and all of a sudden your heroes are now being defended by your shield wall, right? Most people really can't shoot your heroes unless they, they walk on the sides. But guess what? You can also insulate your heroes by you know, bubble wrapping them with essentially a blade of in the ways, right? Extra models. But never ever have your important elements, your heroes, um, walk on last. This is one of those missions where you want them to walk on first and then you surround them and support them. Okay, so that's really all there is to know about the de deployment, the consolidation deployment. No, 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 no. Oh, here we go. There's here we go. one. There's one. He's remembering more. something. There's one more. Mm -hmm. Who is the king of consolidation deployment? 
The king. Lurts. Lurts, that's right. Lurts is the king of consolidating your deployment in Maelstrom. Why? Because you wait and deploy him last, and he can come on whatever turn he wants, Mm -hmm. whatever board hedge he wants. Mm -hmm. So where you need him the most, that's where he deploys. And that is why you always put 15 models in Lurtz's warband. That's true. Because in Maelstrom, it's coming on exactly where you want it and when you want it. That You know what? Don makes a great point, and a tip or trick to a mega win is when you design an army, if you can design an army that includes some element of um, some hero with a special rule that allows you to either win the priority role, or I should say lose the priority role, or control where your models come on for Maelstrom, that's ideal. Like for example, Lurts is the most extreme version for, for Maelstrom deployment. Um, the other ones are Madril for Gondor, right? And I'm sure there's a couple other um, heroes. I think that's um, Guritz, I think for Mordor does the same thing, plus one um, to your deployment zone rolls, right? So instead of um, being concerned about rolling a one, two, three, you're only really concerned about rolling a three, four, five, six, right? Because a three plus one is, is a four, so you're good. So those types of models are phenomenal. Now here's the real cumdinners. The type of the, the best model for the best model for hold ground. Ready for this? Elrond, Master of Rivendell. And here's why. Foresight of the Eldar. I can choose what my priority is going to be turn one. Which means, oh, I rolled a five and you rolled a three. I will burn three uh, foresight points if I haven't. <laughs> drop to a two. Guess what? I lose the deployment yeah. roll. You get to roll. And I'm telling you, that model for um, hold ground is like a triple plus. If you take him, you stand a very good chance of having an overwhelming advantage against your opponent. So Yeah, and, and Elrond Light, Balin. Yes. Anything that allows you to re-roll priority yeah. rolls, adjust priority rolls, anything like that gives you the <laughs> chance to be like, I am not winning this priority roll. It's not happening. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely. Anything that, do- that affects priority is big in this mission. So. Okay. Let's get on with your list. Let's get on. We're diving, we? in, we're diving into spread out deployment. Okay. So, um, so this can either be an offensive or a defensive thing. Okay. Let's talk about the defensive. So a spread out deployment is when you want to deploy your warbands all over the place. Now, for example, Leafblower in many cases wants to deploy their warbands all over the place on purpose, right? Because you want multiple avenues for shooting your opponent and it makes it easier to surround your opponent. Uh, it's especially effective for Horde. This is a great move if your opponent, if you lose priority and your opponent consolidate deploys, right? So they've decided to deploy their entire army in one spot. Guess what? There's no harm in you spreading your army out over three deployment zones, right? Because what that allows you to do is it immediately sets you up to overwhelm your opponent when you choose to, right? And that can give you a huge tactical advantage, right? So like if you move half of your army up to get onto the objective and you allow your opponent to walk up to the the objective as well, guess what? The other two thirds of your army or the equivalent half um, can uh, surround and overwhelm your opponent, right? So you're, you're, you're totally encasing your opponent at the objective and you wipe them out so quickly. So the spread out deployment can be a very effective tactic um, in that regard uh, when you don't have deployment. 
Um, the other piece is it's an offensive measure, right? And we talked about this whole scatter deploy thing where um, isolating warbands. Well, we just talked about how, uh, or for, uh, at the very beginning, we talked about how Maelstrom, if you roll a two or three, your opponent gets to choose where you go. Well, guess what? Almost always the decision is what corner within six inches or within six inches of which corner do I want to deploy your warband, right? That's always the choice. Um, I'm always going to pick the one that has the most intervening terrain between that point and the middle of the board so I can screw your... Um, your warband that comes on and prevent them from being able to get to this, the center, right? That's my goal when I, when I force you to spread out deployment, right? So that's one of these situations where your opponent can choose the spread out deployment tactic, okay? And last but not least is, and this is really only for Horde, is that moment where like if you have one priority in your Horde player, you're going to look at the table and say, okay, what are the optimal deployment areas where your opponent has a straight shot to the center, no intervening terrain, cool. Now I'm gonna deploy a warband into each of those optimal areas and I'm gonna spread my force out as much as I can because I want my opponent to have a really hard time getting to the center. I don't care if you wipe out my two or three warbands that I've done using, using this method because it'll take you a lot longer to get to the center. I'll have totally consumed the center with, with horde models and you've lost the game. Cool. Any thoughts? Honestly, I, I haven't really thought a, a, a lot about this because it's it's kind of a reactive thing. It seems like, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, what you were saying makes sense. I, I'll I'll honestly have to re-listen to that and digest it further. Let me tell you, one of the reasons why the tips and tricks section of this mission is almost entirely about deployment is because deployment literally makes or breaks this game. It does. Uh, deployment uh, tactic three or strategy three is the counter deployment. And we, again, we've talked about this. The counter deployment is literally, um, the counter deployment is in two ways, okay? And we're not talking about pincer deployment. We'll get to that in a second. The so when you say counter deployment, are you talking right away about losing priority? So you've lost priority, you're deploying second? I'm talking about two scenarios. One where you, um, lose priority, right, in the first turn, or two, when your warband does not come on turn one, or you mm -hmm. decide to null deploy turn one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. So those are, these are two, this, this is really the, the, the moment where you get the counter deploy. It's, mm -hmm. and the most common one, as you said, is when you lose priority turn one. And this is the situation where your opponent deploys their army or deploys warbands, and you counter deploy by deploying your warband right beside theirs. Okay, mm -hmm. so and this is hugely effective for mobile types, for line breaker types, where you counter deploy uh, one or two warbands to overwhelm and destroy an opponent's isolated warband. Okay, or, or like leaf blower, where we said mm -hmm. you know like they're they're a five if they have to deploy first, but if they get to go second and counter deploy, they're you know, you had them at a two. So mm -hmm. it's, it's like a drastic difference in oh, yeah. so you, you, how the, they perform. The counter deploy is also not just consuming isolated warbands. The counter deploy is also deploying your army, as you said, as far away from your opponent's army or setting yourself up in, in a situation where your army strengths are at their, mac, or at their best or maximized uh, for mm -hmm. top efficiency. Okay. Um, and the other piece is 
when your warbands do not come on turn one, whether by mm-hmm. um, you know design, um, we'll talk about the null deployment in a moment, or by uh, you just naturally rolling a one on your maelstrom roll, right? And so that scares your opponent, and when you're able to um, sort of flip the tables on them, um, when you are an army that has one priority first turn, if you're able to keep a warband in reserve, then you can counter-deploy the following turn, um, especially if you've got a, um, an isolated warband that's about to get wiped out that you don't want to have die. Well, you can counter-deploy and throw another warband mm-hmm. into the mix. You can't have them charge into combat, but you can have mm-hmm. them sort of be an effective sort of like shield wall or like speed bump to prevent your opponent from totally wiping that warband yeah. out. So th- this gets a little bit complicated. It's, 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 one, it's one of those things where it's like... Um, I knew he knew that I knew that exactly. I knew he knew, you know, because, <laughs> because like if, if you, now what is this now? If you win priority, therefore mm-hmm. you must put your war bins on first. So mm-hmm. it's bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. And however, one of your war bins, you roll a two. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now you're putting all your warbands on first, and oh my god, it's over, I lost, because I have to do that. But Mm -hmm. this warband, I rolled a two. So you know what? I'm going to spend one point of might to make this a one, and Mm -hmm. therefore not put this unit on first. Mm -hmm. It's going to come on on the second turn of the game. So the rest of the deployment happens, and turn two comes. Well, haha, I now have a a unit still that I can bring on the table. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's good and all, but don't forget, it's no longer the first turn. So if you now win priority on turn two and bring your unit on, well, guess what? You can be charged now. That's true. Right? That's true. So it, it is a little bit different. It's mm-hmm. it's like I said, it's one of those it's one of those funny situations like, you know, do you do it or do you not do it? Do you mm-hmm. spend the point of might to come on the second turn or do you not spend the point of might and let your opponent place you in a disadvantageous situation, mm-hmm. right? Um, and even if you do elect to come on the second turn, well, if you win priority, it's still not all that great because you kind of can't put your unit like too close to an enemy warband because there is now a threat that you could be charged because it's no longer the first turn. That's true. Um, but the other piece is if you're bringing on an enemy, uh, your warband to support another warband, it doesn't entirely mean you have to... Um, you don't need to charge. I mean, like spears can walk up and spear support, right? Oh yeah, right? absolutely. Um, there are plenty of examples where it's a good idea to do it. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that, you know, it, it's not without risk. Absolutely. And it's not always going to be like uh, an overwhelming advantage, but no. it could mean saving a warband that would almost be relegated to deletion very quickly. So Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the other thing is though that doing that, um, and, and speaking of somebody that plays dwarves, a lot getting to the center of the table is hard enough when you only move five five inches and then saying that you're keeping your unit off the table for the first turn of the game is brutal 
It is, but um, you know, to counter to play counterpoint that it is, but I think a, a unit that is ex that still exists and hasn't been wiped out is more important than a unit um, that takes an extra turn to get to the center, right? I, I could argue, but let's move on. Okay, okay. Um, so let's talk about the pincer deployment. Now, we've already talked about this already. Um, this is pretty much for when you lose priority first turn. Um, and you don't, your opponent either has a, a separated warband or they've decided to consolidate deploy. Well, a pincer warband is essentially just putting um, as many warbands as you need as you feel you need to, to destroy or contest or combat the opponent's army or, or singular warband. Um, as many warbands as you need on their left and on their right. Um, and then sort of the, se the second turn, you would charge into combat, okay? Think of it like holding a cup, right? You've got both your hands on either side of the cup. Um, the cup represents the warband or army of your opponent, and your hands represent both sides or both warbands that you've decided to deploy, okay? Now, this has some pros and cons. Obviously, the biggest pro being you are now in an overwhelming position to envelop and swarm your opponent. Great. The con is that, as we talked about with mobile, if you opt to call a heroic move, generally because this this sort of combat's happening over like, you know, um, let's say like a 12 inch area, generally there's gonna be two sets of heroic move offs, right? Like you have to have two heroes call a heroic move off and then um, two of your opponent's heroes in that consolidated um, warband or consolidated army are gonna call a heroic move off, right? And so what I'm saying here is you're gonna run into a situation very commonly where I call a heroic move, your opponent calls a heroic move, and that only covers half the combats that are gonna happen. And then your other hero calls a heroic move and their other, and then their opponent counters. So what ends up happening is you're gonna win both one heroic move and lose one mm -hmm. heroic move. You kind of break up the board into separate zones of priority almost. Exactly. And because you are declaring, because you're both winning and not winning a heroic move, um, this can be advantageous in some cases, or it could not be. Um, and I could get into the, the minutia of this, but I'll, I'll avoid that. Um, but needless to say, if your army focuses entirely upon needing that charge and your opponent can countercharge you, you can be in big trouble with one half of your army and have an overwhelming advantage with the second half. So there's pros and cons to this. So think about that. So... Let's just dive into null deployment. We've talked about this at length. I don't think we need to talk about it anymore. Essentially, the point is you don't always have to um, accept that you've rolled a, a two or a three. Sometimes, especially if your opponent plans on murdering your warband that you'd like to bring on, you can choose to mite down um, that, um, that two to a one. Oftentimes, if you roll a three, you'll mite up to a four, and that way you choose which you know where you want to be on the north and south. So it's really only when you roll a two you will mite it down to a one. Keep your warband off and decide where you want to go turn to. This is generally only um, a with priority, um, you know, when you win priority for a first turn, this is generally the only, this is the only time you would use this tactic. If you don't win priority first turn, you would almost never use this tactic because quite honestly, you want your whole army on the table. You are literally countering what your opponent has. So you want to put them all on the table as soon as possible. Right. Yeah, like you may you may think that, oh, well, he's going to put me, you know, six inches from the corner. Well, 
it's it's better in most cases unless there's a nasty bit of terrain Mm -hmm. um it's better to actually come onto the board and move six inches and be on the board than keep your guy off because don't forget if you do elect to keep your guy off you could roll a one on your second turn Mm -hmm. so yeah so if you are a um you know if you won priority like it's if you lose priority in this one, so the good situation, you never null deploy. You always want to make sure your army's entire army is on turn one, okay. But if you win priority of turn one, sometimes null deploying isn't a bad option, okay. And you know we talked about this. You know Don mentioned the whole like you really want to be on turn one if at all possible. But if it's the difference between losing a warband and getting them deleted very quickly versus potentially using them at another time and having to spend might to make that happen, I think it's worth null deploying and keeping them alive. Now, again, this is entirely subjective because if your warband is capable of stalling out your opponent, that may actually be worth doing, right? But if your if your warband is not capable of doing that, then it's worth keeping them off, right? Um, and, and yeah, going from there. And, and last but not least, let's quickly dive into this sacrificial deployment. Okay, and that's generally some other type of deployment strategy. But the goal of the sacrificial deployment is really just to slow your opponent's advance to the center, right? So you are expecting this warband to die. Ideally, you don't want them to die quickly, but you are going to deploy either in a pincer move, you're going to deploy either in a scatter move, but you're generally going to deploy right on top of your opponent. And your goal is to slow them down as best as you possibly can. And you do not care if your your warband dies. Your objective is to let your rest of your army get to the center before they do. And if you have to sacrifice a chunk of your army to make that happen, then you sacrifice a chunk of your army. This is where having less than a six inch movement really sucks. Mm -hmm. Because if you deploy first and you have less than a six inch movement, so let's say I'm playing Kazadum, okay? So let's say you have like a big nasty unit led by Durin and it's like a massive amount of points of your army, but you only move five inches mm-hmm. and your opponent's warband, mm-hmm. which is very modest in, in point cost, maybe it's led by a captain and maybe has eight guys with shields or something. Well, you can't outpace them to the objective and they can deploy right behind you and second turn third turn that's where you want to fight on the edge of the board Mm -hmm. you want you want to engage that big expensive unit um and hope that they will come into you and you know accept the fight and engage in a fight on the edge of the board with their most expensive warband and you can control that you can force that situation because you have a one inch faster move they Mm -hmm. cannot get away from you yep so let's dive over to deployment order i know you talked about this briefly so you let's let's have you lead the way on this one deployment order what is the ideal order in which you deploy your warbands well, like I said before, um, you wanted to deploy the ones first that are going to potentially have the least amount of options, which generally is the ones that have the lowest amount of might. So you have the least amount of control to where they are going to drop. Mm-hmm. Because the, probably the most common expenditure of might uh, when, you're, when you're doing this is if you roll a three. 
Okay. Yeah. So it's the difference between having your opponent deploy your warband or you deploying it wherever, if it's east or west, north or south or whatever. Mm -hmm. The difference is my opponent's doing it or I'm doing it. No, I'm going to spend a point of might. So that one is frequently equals the expenditure of a point of might. Um, mm -hmm. But what you want to do is your ladder warbands that you are deploying you want more might available for those because those are the ones that are important for keeping your army together. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you have one warband setting up on like the center of the east and one on the center of the north or whatever, so they're on different board edges and you want one to come in in a certain location mm -hmm. and, and then your last warband has like one point of might. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't give you much flexibility on on options no. so keep your might for the later deployment yeah agreed and, and i would even go on to say is i would even go as far as to say um the less might a hero has the higher up in the deployment order they should be so take for example angmar like let's say previous edition you run a shade right this edition you don't generally see one but you'll run a barrel white neither of them have might you're rolling them first because no matter where they fall, you want the rest of your Angmar army to surround that, that shade or the, that bear white. So it, it's, it's either models with low might or models that have ginormous synergistic bonuses should be going first. Like, for example, um, you know, Kirdan, right? Or Galadriel, Lady of Light. They have massive synergistic bonuses to your army. They should be going first, even though, you know, in both scenarios there that I just talked about, Kirdan has one might, Galadriel has three. But because they have such a massive synergistic bonus to your whole army, they need to be rolled first so that you know where you need to deploy the rest of your army. And you just make that yeah, a reality. Because, because the reason why you're saying that is because those, those synergistic uh, bonuses make them a very important element to your army, and you don't want that unit isolated and destroyed on turn two. Exactly. Right? So you put them down, and then you're like, okay, now let's get our other units around that. Well, I mean, the other pieces, the other pieces, let's say Gladril or Kirdan, right? They are your blinding light. And if you're placing against a, a leaf blower, you better mm -hmm. have them in your army because if all of a sudden you've allowed them to be scatter deployed somewhere else, you no longer have blinding light. And a leaf blower just said, oh, beautiful, I'm going to murder you now. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens. So anything that is like has a huge benefit to you, some element of your armor that has a huge benefit to you that can make or break the game and will let you win hold ground, it must be rolled either first or second in the Maelstrom order and all your other heroes spend might to stay around it. Yeah, and you, you chose Blinding Light as the example, but yeah. there's like other other spells and abilities that are uh, based on uh, like an aura or a range, a six-inch range or mm -hmm. whatever. So yeah, same same idea. Like for, for example, yeah, like you said, like if, if my opponent has a lot of shooting, I want to have Galadriel go down first. But you know, if my opponent has no mm -hmm. shooting, guess what? I'm not going to roll Galadriel first. I'm going to roll her last because she has three might. She can walk yeah. on where my army needs her to be, right? Yeah. So it all depends on... Uh, based upon who you're playing against, what their army has, um, and then you decide which elements of your army are critical to beat that type of army or that type of mm -hmm. opponent. Like if you have Thror in your army, mm -hmm. counts as a six-inch banner. You don't want him isolated by himself with his one warband across the table from the rest of your army. You want him in the center of your army, Yeah. right? So yeah. you're making the most out of that, uh, out of that benefit. 
100% agree. Now, let's talk about the psychological element to this. Okay. Now, I've experienced this playing you last edition. And let me tell Excellent. you, it was crippling. Okay. Now, we're talking, I, again, Dom was playing his, uh, his Isengard, and I was playing my Mordor Felbeasts, because that's pretty much the army I played. Dawn, and, and to, you know, well, first let's clarify, uh, one, I won priority, turn one, and, um, you know, everyone knows Mordor and Felbeasts, they don't want to spend their might doing something stupid, like having to roll to stay on a specific board side. Well, and it just so happened that I rolled dismally with every single one of my bloody warbands, and I needed to might up just to keep my army together. So what ended up happening is my seven might I had became two might before turn one really began. <laughs> then Don decided to roll all of his Isengard warbands and he rolled nothing but a four plus. So he spent absolutely no might to put his army down. I spent two thirds of my might. So all of a sudden I'm in trouble because if I had allowed him to choose where my warbands would go, he would have absolutely isolated them and murdered them with his Isengard, which I wouldn't have allowed. But the problem is now I went with, I'm now down five might, having killed nothing for that five might. And that right there puts you in an extreme uphill battle. And from a psychological perspective, it is it plays so heavily on you. Like, you just get so frustrated. You're like, his dice are not fair. My dice suck. Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Because if you start thinking like that, which is what I did, I, you're going to lose. You're going you're gonna to yeah. make rash mistakes and you're going to lose the game, which is what I think happened in our game where I decided to, to compel Lurts out and I murdered Lurts with one of my few remaining points of mites. Uh, this was back when Lurts really sucked. But then I had no might left for the heroic move off and you swarm and you killed the fell beast. And it was mm -hmm. like, that was me making a very stupid decision. Um, and that was the reality of it. And you just, you have to accept the times when if I have really low might, because I'd spend a lot to stay in a certain area, I really have to say, how do I marshal the rest of my might? And just accept that some games, my opponent will roll nothing but a four plus, and I'd have to spend a, a point of might to be exactly where they want to be, and I have to spend a tremendous amount of might being exactly where I need to be. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and this is one of the things where, you know, it is a dice game, mm -hmm. right? It is a dice game. And this is one of those times where rolling a bunch of ones can really suck yep. um, if if you're rolling a bunch of ones on your deployment it it can either lose <laughs> you the game or contribute to losing the game or affect your mindset so badly that that will contribute to you losing the game mm -hmm. um, because you know rolling a one in maelstrom is far worse than rolling a one in a combat let's oh say oh my god yes you know it's far worse because it's affecting like a potentially like what like 13 models or 16 mm -hmm. models or whatever um, it, it can have a huge impact on the outcome of the game i mean i mean it's just it's just the same as rolling a one in reconnoiter 
Like that's a yeah. devastating roll. Do to yeah. come on the table and I roll a one? Oh my god, that's setting me back just trying to get across the table. Um, so yeah, these sorts of roles for deployment can be you know critical to the success and mental health of you as you play this game. So you mm-hmm. really need to accept that these times these types of things happen. This is a dice game. That's why you have <laughs> strategies planned out for if such events occur, right? And you have to, and you and you prepare for these kinds of things because if you yeah. prepare for it and it happens, it's like man, I expected it to happen. So. Okay, Absolutely. let's move on. Talking about heroics. So in the other previous missions, we, we talked about heroic moves were more important or heroic combats were more important. This one, guess what? Heroic March is your friend. This is your heroic. This is, your, this is the thing you need to use. Because if the name of the game is to get to the center, March is where it's at. Or if you took a drum, this is where you give yourself a pat on the back. Oh my God, Good yes. job, me. I took a drum. That's Excellent. right. You know, because, yeah, because you know what? I took a drum, and guess what? You know, call that march and the drum at the same time, you're already on the objective. It's And it's just not fair. But that's the reality of it, right? The other piece to this is, now we're not talking about heroics, we're talking about might. And we've talked about this in good and bad ways, but your might is also used to, you know, deploy your army, right? Like, this is one of these army games where if I need to blow a point of might to get my models to be where they need to be, I blow a point of might. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a bad thing. No, for sure. Now, Don, when we're talking about the objective, what do you do See. when you defend this type of objective? <laughs> like all objectives, what do you do? Well, okay, so we've we've said many times during this episode, be first to the objective mm-hmm. and fight on the objective. So mm-hmm. the idea here is to prevent your opponent from getting within six inches of the objective you know, the fact that you're on the objective is awesome, but mm-hmm. it also, on the flip side, you can position your models so you're within six inches of the objective and your enemy is not within six inches of the objective. And that is why you want to get to the objective first. And that is why you want to fight on the objective mm-hmm. because you want to break the other guy's army while your models are within six inches and his are not. Now, the other thing to this is Objective is six inches, right? Six inches radius. Mm-hmm. You so my I'm gonna ask you this question: Should you be fighting? Should you set up your shield wall to defend um, the objective three inches from the objective, four inches from the objective, or six inches, or seven inches from the objective? What's the ideal distance that you should be do, deploying your shield wall to defend for the objective? Well, if it's me, I I deploy like I said, I like I would deploy my models so that they are between five and six inches away from the objective, so that my opponent, like, assuming let's assume you have like a two rank battle line line mm-hmm. of battle, mm-hmm. and your opponent has a similar line of battle. Well, I want both of my ranks to be within six inches of the objective, mm-hmm. so. My the furthest rank away from the objective is going to still be within six inches of of the objective, but my opponent's models ideally would not be within six inches. They would be six and a half or seven. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. In fact, I would if you have the the model count, 
I would even go further to say I would deploy my first rank, like my outer rank, on seven inches from the objective, and my inner rank mm -hmm. six inches from the objective. And the reason I would yep. do this is if my opponent beats me and I go back an inch, well, now both my ranks are within six inches of the objective. My opponent's nowhere near the objective yet. And so mm -hmm. you have to, so at that point, your opponent has to grind you down just to even get like a couple of models in range. And this is why it's so important to be able to deploy your shield wall to defend the objective as far out as possible from the actual objective because it's not just about defending the objective, it's about how many models are within that, that six inch radius, 12 inch diameter. Mm -hmm. And the more models you can reduce um, from your opponent that are within that 12 inch di di uh, diameter, the, yeah. the better chances you are getting a five you know, five points. Okay, I think I think the word of this episode is minutia. So minutia. let's get into the minutia of the objective itself. Okay, and and let me just read something from the scoring victory points. Okay, okay. and this is from the very first part. <laughs> you score now. Pay close attention to the words here, because this often becomes a sticky point at the mm -hmm. end of the game, which can potentially get ugly. Yep. <laughs> okay, so here it is. You score three mm -hmm. victory points if you have more models within six inches of the objective marker than your opponent. It does not say the center of the objective marker. Yep. It says within six inches of the objective marker. Mm -hmm. Okay? Very mm -hmm. important consideration there, Drew. Now, and why is that, Don? Well, because it depends, like, the size of the objective marker that you use can be radically different <laughs> in size. Like, you could use, like, one of the little tiny cardboard cutouts that come with some of the GW sets that are, you know, an inch handbook. diameter or yeah. even smaller, I think, mm -hmm. than that. Or or you could use like a 40 mil base for some for example, or maybe even something bigger. Like maybe somebody has like a, a cool display kind of thing on a 60 millimeter base. So mm -hmm. it's to the edge of the yeah. counter it's not to the center it doesn't say to the center mm -hmm. that's right and if you assume that it's to the, the center and your opponent assumes that it's to the edge and you only find out that your assumptions are different at the time you go to score who wins the game that that's a huge problem <laughs> yep i've seen that happen i've seen situations where your opponents are measuring what's exactly six inches out and all of a sudden um they realize at that point that their interpretation of the rule is different mm -hmm. um and so uh, I, almost every one of these bloody episodes, I always pr r you know present a jank rule or jank option. Um, and so in this case, if you are a horde army, having a larger objective marker is more beneficial to you because it gives more space for you to put your horde models within the six inches. Yep. Uh, but if you are a smaller army type and you offer up your really super small special dice 
to represent the center objective. Well, Here is my counter for the center of the board. It is the head of a pin. That's right. All of a sudden, um, you've now shrank that six inch radius diameter by probably a good half inch. Uh, and all of a sudden, your much smaller army is better equipped at defending it. So um, be mindful um, that when an objective marker is being placed on the table that both parties agree that it is acceptable because that objective marker is the the base right so if you have an inch and a half or two inch objective marker um, you've just pretty much increased the radius um, of that six inch objective um, from the center point to like eight inches so all of a sudden you have a 16 inch diameter versus a 12. so think about that you know and it's 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 one of the really good things to clarify at the beginning of the game because mm -hmm. it, it's you know it's not surprising how quickly someone's definition of how that should be measured will change once you can f physically see how how it will affect how many models they have within within the six inches you know mm -hmm. whether you're counting it to the center or the edge it's like oh no all of a sudden now it, it's to the edge whereas at the beginning of the game it was to the center so it's like exactly it's it's an important thing to clarify but to the letter of the rule it is not to the center because yeah. if it was to the center it would say it was to the center or it would say it would be the center of the table is mm -hmm. the objective mm -hmm. um and it does not say that right the other piece that you may want to do is um, if you've designed your objective marker, let's say it was like an inch objective marker, um, if you design like a secondary, almost like sheet of paper or like felt piece, that's the equivalent of six inch diameter um, you know, in, in, a, in accordance with your one inch uh, objective. If you place that felt piece down at the beginning of the game uh, and then place your objective, objective marker in it, everyone can then see anyone within the felt piece you're within six inches, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, then it becomes very obvious. I'm defending the felt piece and everything within it, right? So these sorts of little like like gaming tools can be very useful in clarifying issues later on, especially when the both of you say, "Hey, anything within the six-inch felt piece counts within six inches of this objective." Period. And if you both agree upon that at the beginning of the game, it makes the game a lot easier for determining who actually has more more models or all yeah. the models within range of the objective it it, it it makes it so that you don't have to like hold up your tape measure at the end and mm -hmm. measure mm -hmm. every model is this guy within six or he's I've five and three quarters or what it's like oh my god and, and the amount of griping that occurs and let me tell yeah. you it can be the difference between winning a game and losing a game by being like a certain angle a model person is holding yeah. their tape measure um you know trust me um, if you do this this gaming aid with the felt piece or some other equivalent piece that sort of shows you much larger that diameter that radius or diameter, um, it just makes it so much easier to say, is it on the actual piece? No, doesn't count. Done. You know? It's it's very war machine esque, which yes. I don't like, but in this in this mission, it is it does work very well. Agreed. Alrighty, I think that's everything. That's it? That's We're it. at the end. That's it. All that is gold does not glitter. And this is a segment where we read questions and comments that come in from our listeners. 
and we have a few to choose from uh, this time so forgive me if we don't get to yours we will get to it eventually but we've got two that we're gonna we're gonna dig into here the first one is from Michael Haskell and I know I've heard Michael Haskell's name many times uh, in regards to the GBHL um, so I know he's a very active player over in the UK and he says you've been asking I quite enjoy the Oathbound segment. Oh, and yeah, I guess there's no Oathbound segment this time, eh, Andrew? Oh, yeah, we got to work on getting yeah. that back up. Yeah, okay, okay. I quite enjoy the Oathbound segment, but it makes perfect sense for it to appear when either of you have had time and get into the creative zone. Don't force it as it'll feel like a chore. Same with the podcast as a whole. It's great content, so if you need a bit more time to come to the boil, so be it. Quality, not quantity, especially with so much Middle Earth content out there already. You're producing some great material and plenty of food for thought. Oh, that was really nice and complimentary. Yeah. So thank you very much for, for that, Michael. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, and we, that, I think we I, both found that, didn't we, uh, when we were writing the Oathbound? Mm-hmm. We, we definitely felt the... Um, one of the bigger delays uh, for releasing the podcast, for, I mean, was with, with, without a doubt get, getting the Oathbound segment done, right? Because we wanted it to be good quality. We didn't want it to be rushed. We didn't want it to sound like garbage. Um, and that takes time, right? Like, I mean, we're not professional does, writers, yeah. um, so things are a little bit slower for us. And I like doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy that kind of thing. But when your schedule is just jammed, packed, and you only have, say a two hour window that you can devote to that content. Mm -hmm. It just might not happen. You know, it just might not happen during those two hours yeah. because for me, I find that the way that I, the, the way that I write things is that during my commute is kind of the only time I have during the day where my brain is not completely occupied by something else, mm -hmm. i.e. work or home life stuff. Um, so th during that time, like I'll listen to the radio or whatever, but I'll be thinking about how I want to piece together the next segment. And a lot of the time I'll just like do very short audio recordings uh, in in the car. Just I'll, I'll think of something and I'll just speak it into my phone so that it's there because I'll just forget. Right. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. No, I mean. For me, it's my brain is on on overdrive twenty four seven. So, like sometimes I'll be thinking about I'll be walking down the street or something. I'll just do something very innocuous, and my brain is immediately thinking about ideas for like you know for our D and D campaign that we play, but also for the story, right? And it's just like oh, I think about this, I think about this, I think about this. But it's just also the act of sitting down. Like I'm fairly quick at storyboarding. Um, mm -hmm. my segment but it's just the act of writing it and making sure it flows smoothly it makes sense because you're always um, I, I, I despise um, reading 
books that have like blatant loopholes because um, it's just sloppy writing or movies that just like leave loose ends yeah. uh, just because they aren't interested in tying it up. I'm not interested in that. I like things tight. Mm-hmm. I like to look at like a story that I write with all from all different angles. And I mean, it, it always does happen that sometimes you, you have that moment where you write something that's a little sloppy, but your goal really isn't like for me anyways, is just to always write quality because to, to Michael's point, um, I like to think of our podcast as being one that, produces a lot of quality because that's what our focus is. We want to do quality. We're not interested in quantity. I mean, if we wanted to do quantity, um, there would be no prep. We would just meet every week for an hour, hour and a half, and we would just boom, go, um, knock it out for an hour and uh, hour and a half, and then that would mm-hmm. be the podcast for the week, and we would probably have 60 episodes or something by now. And Honestly, though, you know, having said stuff. that, like some of my favorite parts of recording this are when we just talk. Oh, great. Because like we don't we don't get together anymore and, and talk. So it's like the, these are some of the only times that we spend chatting. Right. So oh, I agree. There's yeah. there's a feeling of uh, a freeing feeling as you're recording when it's like, hmm, I don't have to prepare anything today. Awesome. I can just sit down and just chat. Cool. Let's do this. <laughs> right. But at the same time, having some form of structured dialogue about certain things, like I know, like let's or, or let's talk about, is somewhat structured, uh, or mostly yeah. structured. Um, it's important to be able to get that information out in a concise manner, and that's the, the, the yeah. quality element of it. We don't want a seven-hour podcast. Yeah, you can't you can't rush coming up with Beatles-esque lyrics to Lord right. of the Rings pop songs. You know. That this is, takes this takes time, right? It has to ruminate. You have to think about it. Is, is it hitting the right uh, timber and the right the, like the rhythm? You know. Oh God. Okay. Let's move on to a, uh, another question. But thank you yes. again, Michael, for that question or Thanks that so much, uh, comment. Yeah. Um, so Kevin Rowan, who um, was actually at the tournament that I, I was talking about earlier, um, he has a question. Thanks for the continued content. Question for you guys: What are your tactics? for games when it seems like your opponent gets all the key priorities or numerous priorities in a row ah yes obvious first tactic is the heroic move Mm -hmm. do you always plan your hero placement assuming you lose priority any tips on this so frequent priority loss is what he's talking about and that can be a real pain in the butt that's Mm -hmm. for sure um but he's specifically asking do you always plan where you're going to place your heroes assuming you're going to lose priority Uh, it's never about losing priority it's more about placing your heroes in a position where they're insulated from being overwhelmed Right, and the act of doing that means if you lose priority and your opponent sort of like charges into them, they're not being able to surround them. They can't get like you know four infantry plus a hero on you to strike up and kill your hero in one shot. It's mm-hmm. it, it's about uh, protecting against the the wrap and and the trap, right? And. Yeah. By the act of just protecting your heroes and insulating them with your own infantry, um, you protect yourself from losing priority, right? Like, yeah. Um, but it also depends. Like, there's so many variables here at play. For example, if you're playing a really resilient like dwarven battle line, guess what? You don't really have to worry about that too much. I mean, yeah, you insulate your your dwarven heroes with with a couple of guys on the the left and the right, but mm-hmm. if you get charged every turn 
by infantry, you don't care because you don't get charge bonuses, you don't get knocked down, it's, it's irrelevant to you. The goal really is not to let your heroes get charged by enemy cav, right? So certain elements of your army are more um, concerned about losing the, the heroic move off than others. Um, and so those elements that really benefit from it, you want to insulate so they don't get overwhelmed. And I'm talking about mounted heroes. Um, those that are a lot more resilient, there's less of a yeah. concern for it. Um, like I, I find, I find my reaction to this situation because certainly there are times when I plan my placement of certain heroes, assuming I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. But my my awareness or sensitivity to to that can go from. Um, being hypersensitive to it, to being mm-hmm. very uh, lazy and not really caring too much about mm-hmm. it. And it all has to do with the enemy and the proximity of their units to your hero and how deadly they are. Yep. You know, like if you're, yeah, I mentioned in, I, I played in a game at the last tournament where I, I was playing against uh, Radagast Alliance. Mm-hmm. So there's a, like a lot of monsters there, a lot of like really fast moving models. If if you're sloppy with your placement, your hero can die in in a second. Mm-hmm. One charge and you can lose a hero easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you mentioned big heroes on mounts like you know your Azogs, your Balgs, your your Aragorns, your all of those type of you know big guys like that. Whenever they're hovering around, hypersensitive about hero placement. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're not faced with that, or you're in you're in an area, especially if you're in an area where the other army doesn't really have any might nearby, mm-hmm. then it's like pretty lazy about it, mm-hmm. pretty laissez-faire about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so yeah, I mean, do we in in many cases, especially the higher up the, on the tables you get. Um, is it important to think about the placement of your heroes in relation to losing priority? Well, yeah, absolutely. You want to insulate your heroes. Um, you don't want to overextend yourself because if you, you know, you first turn, you charge in, you kill a couple guys, you swing around the back of your opponent's army, you get that weak hero, you kill him, and you say to yourself, yeah, I did it. Well, you just hyperextended yourself. You're dead if you lose that combat next round. Yeah. Right? And certainly if you're playing a caster, Mm-hmm. Then, then you're probably generally on a different level uh, uh, of consideration for this. You're you're mm-hmm. always thinking about this because even just getting any model into you is going to prevent you from from casting, and you mm-hmm. don't want that to happen. So, if you're playing a wizard or a ring wraith or anything, then you're going to be pretty hypersensitive about that, like every mm-hmm. turn. Yeah, the other piece is um, if you're feeling like the dice, now this may seem rather silly to say, but if you're feeling like the dice are swinging in a certain favor all the time, and this does happen, like there are trends and waves, but if you start seeing the dice are constantly moving in a certain way, um, i.e. your opponent's always getting priority, assume they'll get priority until that assumption is no longer valid, which means maybe you'll charge your heroes in, call a hero combat, kill a bunch of guys, and then walk away from the battle line. 
right? So walk backwards, walk away in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that will allow you whether or not your opponent wins priority next turn, that you will still get that cav charge off, that you'll still be able to get that will position charge off. Um, mm-hmm. Because by doing that, you're saying to yourself, I assume because my opponent's won the, 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 you know, the priority roll for the last five turns, I need to now assume that they're always going to win it until I see otherwise, at which point in time um, I can then capitalize on it. But until then, um, get my guys off the line, um, get, your, get your heroes into combats so that they benefit them, and, and set yourself up for that, that, that next turn charge that's really going to benefit you in the long run. And really start looking at the placement of your infantry in terms of, or the placement of your warriors in terms of how you can sort of like hero block your opponent's heroes to prevent your, your, opponent, your heroes from getting tagged and overwhelmed, uh, wrapped and trapped. Right, yeah, because so. generally, if like if I have a hero that's you know not a caster and is a reason reasonable hero like mid tier or higher, mm-hmm. like I don't really care so much if I get charged by another hero as long as they're not mounted. Yeah, you know, because if if I leave a gap in my line that's big enough for an infantry model get, to get through, and they send send a like a another hero through that gap mm-hmm. into into my model, well you're probably not going to get killed in one turn. So it's not really that big of a concern, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's getting charged by a mounted hero or, or a monster or something, or even even leaving your hero in a position where they can be dragged out by um, a spell and, and killed. Mm-hmm. You know, like keeping yourself insulated in, from if you have an enemy caster around so that they can't compel you out into the open and kill you right yeah no i, I agree um also remember that it's a 50 50 roll off for heroic moves which everybody obviously knows um so pr- when you're losing seven heroic move offs the odds of that occurring are infinitesimally low right so don't assume that i'm always going to lose every heroic move off i'm always going to lose every you know priority roll um it does happen but yeah plan for it um, plan under the assumption that you're, you're, you're playing a little bit more conservative um, with your heroes uh, unless you see your opponent's army start to fold and break. At which point in time, priority becomes less of a concern as to who has it because at that point, you know, you have more warriors, more models on the table than your opponent, so you can swarm them whether you have priority or not. Right, so. Cool. Good. I think that's some good advice there, mm-hmm. hopefully. Thanks for the question, uh, Kevin. Appreciate it. Appreciate that, Kevin. And diving into our last segment for the day, what have I got in my pocket? The awesome-tacular segment where we ask each other a random question or what it seems to be like from Dawn, a series of polls and and questions and answers, (laughs) and where we have to answer on the fly, right? There's no coming up with the answer, no taking your time. It's you just got to answer on the fly. And so for this podcast, we're going to go back to Dawn to be the starting point. Dawn, what is your first question? Or are you still going back to this whole, like, quoting shenanigans oh yeah we're we're on a roll with this we're on a a streak this is gonna go on for a little while 
Um, All right, hit me with it. Yeah, so we're going to do the same as last time. You know, I got a quote that I'm going to read you. It's easy, medium, Mm -hmm. or hard. Uh, Last time you picked hard and got it wrong. So, so far you are 0 for 1 and 0 out of a possible 3 points. Wow. Well, you know what? Today we're going to go with hard. You're going to go again with hard. That's right. Well, we probably have enough time that we can go through all three, but... uh, No, we're not going to go through all three. Oh, see, this is the problem. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here it is. This is the hard one. Okay. God. It takes a lot of believing, though I can see he's been mixing in strange company. What's come of his waistcoat? I don't hold with wearing ironmongery, whether it wears well or no. Oh my god. That's it. Oh my god. Want me to read it again? Yeah, I can already feel the the Hobbit and uh, Lord of the Rings aficionados are just like rolling in their graves right now. Hit me with it again. It takes a lot of believing. Though I can see he's been mixing in strange company. What's come of his waistcoat? I don't hold with wearing ironmongery, whether it wears well or no. Ironmongery. This sounds like a Hobbiton quote, and I'm feeling like it's some quote that relates prior to the Battle of the Shire. Um... And it's one of those obscure hobbits that's, um, oh God, um, oh, Farmer like Maggot s- going with He's Farmer like Maggot. sniffing all around it like a, like a, <laughs> a Farmer Maggot. A, a hound dog on a scent. That's right. Farmer Maggot's my guess. And I think he was talking about one of the hobbits that joined up with Sharky and is pushing more of a... Um, I'm more of a brutal. Oh, you're getting you're getting cold now. You were hot, but you're getting cold now. Okay, so yeah. You better stop while you're. Okay. Well, I said farmer maggot, so we're going with farmer maggot. Okay, it is a it is a hobbit. It is a somewhat obscure hobbit. It is around the time of the um, scouring of the Shire. It's after that, mm-hmm. and it is. Gaffer Gamgee. Oh, I was thinking either. It's, I was honestly thinking either Farmer Maggot or Gaffer Gamgee. It's one of those two. Yeah. And so he's talking about Sam and and um, how he's now like you know he's riding around wearing armor, mm. like ironmongery. The ironmongery threw me off. I was thinking something like I was almost thinking something very Shire related. Um, almost like Bilbo and, and Frodo, or sorry, Frodo and uh, his friends leaving and someone making a comment. But then when yeah. you said Ironmonger, I thought about... Uh, like the gaffer says to Frodo, and I hope my Sam's behaved <clears throat> himself and given satisfaction. And Frodo says, perfect satisfaction, Mr. Gamgee, said Frodo. Indeed, if you will believe it, he's now one of the most famous people in all the lands. And they're making songs about his deeds from here to sea and beyond the great river. Sam blushed. He looked gratefully at Frodo, for Rosie's eyes were shining, and she was smiling at him. There you go. Yeah. There so far, go. 0 for 2 and 0 for 6. Oh, let me update my stats here. Okay, okay. Give me, you got to oh. give me one more quote. This is ridiculous. 
0 for 2. 0 for 2. 0 out of a possible 6 points. Alrighty. What, you, you want another one? Nah, I'm looking at the clock. No, we'll save it. Next time, you know what? Maybe try an easier one next oh, time. Oh, jeez. Okay, Come pull on. these obscure, ridiculous quotes. Why don't you try an easier medium just to get yourself on the board next oh, time? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. You ready for my question to you? Uh, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> go oh for it. Oh, my God. Well, guess what? This is an easy, medium, or hard. <laughs> And it relates to, because I love talking about the game, it relates to special rules. Oh, no. And there's an easy special rule, a medium special rule, or a hard special rule. And you okay. have to guess uh, who has the special rule and mm-hmm. what does it do? And you can paraphrase this. I'm not expecting verbatim. Oh, so it's a two-part question. Yeah. Easy so hard. these are unique special rules by the sounds of it, right? Yep, that's right. Okay, this will show the difference in our personalities. I'm going to go easy. Okay. Because right. I don't have confidence in myself when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> well, this one is a lob ball. I'm just going to say that. It's this a lob is a ball? Lob. Okay, I love it. Ball. I'm ready to hit a homer. All right, let's get this out. Get my easy out here. Okay, are you ready for this? Special rule that is unique to a certain character. Foresight of the Eldar. That's easy. That's easy. <laughs> Foresight of the Elder. Okay, Eldar. Well, Eldar. Eldar. Yeah, okay. Eldar. Um, Foresight of the Eldar. Okay, it is Elrond. Okay, you're, you're right. Final so answer. Correct. Okay, um, what does it do? Uh, hmm. He gets a certain amount of points that he can use during the course of the game Mm -hmm. that are, each one of them is only usable once and then it's gone. And what it does is what I'm not sure about and how many he gets, I'm not sure about. I'm not sure if it's a static number or if it's variable. Um, Is it re-rolling priority? It's something to do with priority. It's either plus one priority, minus one priority, re-roll priority. Uh, I'm all around it, I think. You're dancing on it. You're dancing around it. And I think you, you, you almost got it. I'm not going to give it to you because you've been pretty vicious with your quotes with me. Oh, come so, on. You're going hard. You're, like, I'm going easy here. Uh, get out of here. Uh, I'll give you the first point. I'll give you the first answer is absolutely correct. And the second one... Um, you know what? I'll be easy this time. I'll give it to you. And, you know, foresight of the Eldar is you roll a d6 at the beginning of the game, and whatever your number you roll is how many foresight points you get. Okay, and so it's variable. You may use those foresight points to modify your priority roll up or down um, until you run out, essentially. And you can use multiple foresight points on a single priority roll. Oh, so you can use them all in one shot if you want. That's true, yeah. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. All right, I didn't nail it on the head, but I was, you know, I was sniffing all around it there. Sniffing all around. That's right. So I'll Hmm. give it to you. It was an easy one. That was an easy one. Regardless, I'm one for one, buddy. Yeah, and you get one point so far. So. All right. But you went with the easy route. I'm going go big or go home, son. I'm swinging for home runs. I'm swinging for the fences. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but if i go for a special rule and swing for the fences i probably won't get it so maybe next time maybe next time i'll go for the hard one 
Oh, there you go. But it'll be some crazy thing that I've never heard of. Uh, well, actually, what was the hard one? Don't tell me. Save well, it for next time. I'll save it for next time. Alrighty. So you you're up on the you're up on the standing, sir. You've got you've got yourself a point. I'm right? on the board. See, I'm on the board. That's right. You're on the board. You got a point. Congratulations. Right. I feel good. All right. Well, I think we've come to the end of another episode, Drew. I think so. What do we have in store for the next episode? I, we got some exciting stuff coming up. I know it's like we've got a few, a few hot commodities coming close to. Uh, oh, I think I did promise a Vanquishers episode to discuss. Yeah. I think so. We're gonna do that. Um, I just have to play test them a couple times yeah. on TTS, yeah. um, and then we're gonna do something maybe uh, you know end of the year special. What do you think, Don? Yeah, that's a possibility. That's, that's a, a possibility. possibility. I mean, we made a whole bunch of predictions last year. We got to see if they came true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually just recently listened to that. It was episode nine. Wow, was the episode? Cow. If if anyone cares to go back and listen to that, where it was actually Chris and I, mm-hmm. and uh, we uh, had some predictions of what we would see over the course of this year. So, yeah, that would be fun to do. I think so. You and Chris should come back around, and uh, you and Chris should come back around and and figure out whether or not uh, you guys are right, or whether myself was right at predicting all of the awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, we all, I think, would agree that none of us predicted fall of the Necromancer, but War of the North was pretty much yeah. a guaranteed prediction. Yeah, yeah. No, so that that's a good idea. I like that idea. Well, so we'll see if that happens. Um, Vanquishers, you know, I got something coming up. Um, mm-hmm. We got tons of stuff on our, our list of episodes, so it'd be interesting if we did Vanquishers because we have never really done a faction before. I know. We've never really done... It's a legendary legion, um, yeah. but we don't really get into the faction reviews. Well, yeah, this will um, be the first faction review, uh, and we'll see. You know, you know, if people like it or enjoy it, please let us know. Otherwise, yeah. we'll just not do them. Yeah. Well, we the reason why we've stayed away from it so far is because um, it's kind of a little samey, mm-hmm. you know. It's like you, you do you do hear these faction reviews on different podcasts or YouTube channels, and you know it. Everybody has an insight, so there's mm-hmm. always something interesting with each one that you learn mm-hmm. or listen to. But there is also a, a real samey element of it. Like you do all this coverage and, you know, 90% of it is stuff that you've already heard. So that that's kind of why we've sort of stayed away from that sort of stuff. But, you know, I have had a couple of requests to do um, faction reviews mm-hmm. for specific factions. Yeah. So it, it could be something that we could get into as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not one of those things that's never been done before. So, True. Well, yeah. the, other, the other piece is like when you're doing a faction review, I mean, like, like a lot of our content that we do, or most pretty much all of our content we do, is mm-hmm. applicable to every, almost every army type. Right? Yeah. Like every every player can get some. Well, value we said it early on, right? It's 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 starting out very high level. So yeah, exactly. Year one, now year one was was all very high level. And we're mm-hmm. still kind of at a very high level, aren't I mean, we? Exactly. When when you're diving into faction reviews, that's when you start getting into the, the beginnings of the minutia, right? I yeah. mean, like like the the greatest minutia is looking at an individual, uh, looking at an individual model and its contribution to an army and its contribution to a game. We may eventually get there. We'll see. Um, but we're right now still stuck into scenarios. But this time, we're giving Vanquishers their own shot because, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of scuttlebutt 
on the internets that talks about the uh, the, the vanquishers being OP like sour cream and uh, that they're unbeatable and uh, the nerf train is inbound or it should be inbound and we're going to see what kind of uh, uh, what kind of merit there is to those sort of um, uh, claims. Well, as much as much as I don't really like to be drawn into these uh, excited conversations about new new lists it, it it is an interesting list and it has been difficult not to be drawn into the conversation because mm-hmm. there is a lot to talk about there is a lot of really unique aspects to that army um mm-hmm. and, and you know they they're interesting they're good they're good yeah. topics of conversation i think absolutely um, for good and bad reasons you mm-hmm. know to be honest and you know we're gonna give our our, our most unbiased perspective on this i mean like i would love to play the vanquishers moving forward but at the same time, I'm also the type of player that acknowledges that while some armies may have a learning curve, um, ultimately, um, if an army is too oppressive and too um, difficult, then maybe change needs to come, right? I, I, but I oftentimes I find players who present change or operate like nerfs, they often present it in the form of a friggin' sledgehammer, which destroys an army instead of more like a scalpel to fix it, you know? Mm -hmm. but anyways we'll dive into all of that when we talk about the vanquishers in the coming weeks all right well thanks everybody for sticking with us uh probably a fairly long episode but we appreciate you listening um come and join us again on the next episode which apparently is going to be on the vanquishers Mm -hmm. uh yeah and don't forget this episode was brought to you by the word minutia Do, do, do.